destruction that few have entered. This ominous, unforgiving steel that will rip flesh at every turn. One place that few have dared to go. It is 20 feet high. Completely different animal. Two will meet in one battle where few have walked away. Hell, hell, in the cell. Brock Lesnar, The Undertaker, the WWE Championship match. You haven't been taken where I'm going to take you. WWE No Mercy, tonight, live on Pay-Per-View. Welcome to the Ruthless Aggression Era podcast, the only place where we decipher and dictate the Ruthless Aggression Era from the start to the absolute finish. And guess what, people? We are back together. It's the first time since Unforgiven, but all three of us are back for No Mercy 2002. Um, as always, I'm Dave, uh, and I'm joined by my co-host. Up first, that is CJ. How are we doing, my friend? How was your, how was your Christmas? Happy New Year, etc., etc. Yeah, really good, mate. Got all the presents I, really, I wanted. Uh, got a gaming chair. Really love that. Played a bit of Final Fantasy and The Last Guardian on PlayStation 4. So, yeah, I'm having a good time. And I got a new job, so I'm happy about that. And also, you've just come back from your stag, stag do, but we'll touch on that in 30 seconds. Um, and also, as always, our third uh, part of this triad, that is Mike. How are we doing, sir? Woo! I'm good, how are you? Someone's got a bit of life in him today. Are we looking forward to discussing a bit of No Mercy 2002, Michael? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, that incitement died within <laughs> seconds there, didn't it? The, the driest <laughs> man in sports. The normal Mike is back in the room, the driest man in... Hashtag live. Hashtag live. anybody see the advert that WWE was running up to No Mercy, the TV commercial, where you had uh, numerous children dressed up in, it was Halloween setting, numerous children yeah. dressed in various wrestlers attire, knocking on the door of Pete Rose. And every time Pete Rose, and obviously Pete Rose we know him from WrestleMania fame and getting kicked crap out of by, from Kane every year, um, yes. Pete Rose opened the door and then you'd have a little kid in Kurt Angle saying it's true, it's true. You'd have a little kid in The Undertaker, etc, etc. And then he opens his door and guess who's there? It's Kane. And he says, hi <laughs> Pete. Candy for Olympic hero? Nothing for you, it's true, it's true. Trick or treat, brother! Take a hike. Trick or treat, if you smell! Beat it, jabroni! Halloween is Jericho! Dead man walk. Yeah, you dig it! You're the sucker. WWE No Mercy. Looks like the trick's on you, Pete. I thought cracking. Why don't they do the sort of 
I know 2016 is a completely different era and we're in a different mindset now, but why don't they do anything like that? I know they try and do the corny stuff that's aimed at the kids, but why not? That's, that's an, for me personally, I'm looking at that from a 31-year-old's point of view, and I remember the advert back in 2002, and it still got the little chuckle when I watched it a couple of days ago. So, but why don't they, why don't they seem to bother doing anything like that anymore? Because WWE is a monopoly. The last commercial they did was that Dolph Ziggler Miss KFC one. No, but that was no, but that was yeah, that was that was a commercial for a product though. That wasn't a commercial to advertise their own pay per view. Yeah, they don't need to. There's they, nobody else. Well, yeah, there's nobody else. I, w- I wish they did. I mean, I can I can remember. There's two adverts I I, re- I remember very very well. Um, first one is with the Rock walking through the. Uh, WWF headquarters. No, that was Steve Austin. It was. Austin. It's, it yeah, was older. Yeah. Uh, that was when they was turned into the Attitude Era, where you had. That's uh, it, yeah. yeah. We don't we, we don't mind a little bit of violence, and you had Mick Foley get thrown across an office floor or something like that, and Sable was there. I think Undertaker got thrown someone out of a window. It, yeah, it was, it was brilliant. And then they had the other one was I saw it the other day on Facebook, and that's where there's a little kid. Uh, he was in an um, uh, an arcade trying to get some teddies, and then Kane comes along, smashes it, gets the teddies out. Do you remember that? No, not at all. I don't know if it was an advert or it was a segment, but I, I remember that. One, I, one always stands out for me was back in the new generation era, uh, where they were pushing the, the new era of guys, and you had obviously your Bretts and your Razor and Rons, etc. Uh, and they had an, it was an <coughs> advert where they had a little kid who was uh, obviously going to a WWE event uh, with his dad, and he saw Bret Hart out from a distance. He's like, Dad, that's Bret Hart. And his dad goes, don't, don't interrupt him, son. He's, uh, he's getting ready for the big match. And then the kid goes, Bret! And then the <laughs> Bret Hart turns around, gives the kid his glasses. It's like, oh, Bret, my hero. And this is, I was like seven, eight-year-old. I so wanted to be that kid. Damn, look, it's Bret the Hitman Hart. Wow. <laughs> yes, Brett the Hitman Heart. What, what a legend. Absolutely, absolutely. So, it is October 20th, 2002. We are at the Alltel Arena in Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, which was actually the Raw, uh, the arena where Raw was at last Monday. Uh, there is 10,000 people in attendance. Compared to how, how many other uh, normal people you know? Oh, no way. I suppose it depends where they are. You're probably looking anywhere from the 12 to 14, 16 capacity. We get a cold opening um, to the pay-per-view. No, no promo video yet. We get Undertaker in the back. Uh, he sat deep in thought. Uh, Kane enters. Uh, he, he turns to him and says, So, how was your week? Which I thought, is, you, you've got quite a serious build-up to a pay-per-view with the whole the Katie Vick angle on one side. You've got Undertaker cheating with Lesnar on the other side built up to the Hell in the Cell. And you start with a corny, cheesy angle of, So, how was your week? I, I kind of liked it. Oh, I was pissing myself. Yeah, but, yeah, but you it. should know. I kind of liked it. But what I'm saying is that's not needed there. 
It's this is supposed to be quite a serious-ish pay-per-view. We are unifying the IC and world titles. God damn it! I would, if it was me, I would have had uh, the Undertaker in like a moody setting with a punching bag or something. You know, getting ready for his fight. You would have had uh, Undertaker 2003 shadow boxing. In a dark, yeah, in a dark dungeon room, with no lights yeah. on, just a shadow and one light and a cameraman and Undertaker shadow boxing. Yeah, and then Mom with Brock Lesnar doing, I don't know, weights, five-in people, five-in people in the back. Or what about if you saw Brock Lesnar f-fiving Katie Vick? <laughs> what, as in the man, the mannequin? Yeah, <laughs> or, or, or somebody playing a dead person, getting <laughs> f five. I think that would make uh, make uh, No Mercy more even more interesting. What, what, what about, what's he doing? <laughs> what about if they would open up and they cut to a backstage of uh, Triple H warming up in the cane mask with Katie Vick? <laughs> warming up. So then we oh. cut then we cut guys to a video package. Um, he says denial fuels the soul. Uh, mind games are over. One show, one champion. Guilt poisons the soul. Triple H, in his distorted voice, I don't want to get in the ring with a murderer. Let the truth be told. Kane is a murderer. Kane, you are a murderer. Denial fuels the anger. I am not a murderer. Why don't you tell the world the whole truth? You are a murderer. Guilt poisons the soul. Something that I have to live with. It was an accident. Something that I've thought about every day. One show, one champion, the Intercontinental Champion, basically the World Heavyweight Champion, winner, take all. Show no mercy. Kane might be able to take the life of a sweet girl like Kane Vick. You think I want to get in the ring with a murderer? Be able to take my title. Kane's done it. <laughs> if you're if you're anybody but Kane looking at this from a WWE point of view, and somebody's put together that video, so Kane's done it basically. Kane is a murderer. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I yes. don't know how to react to that. The whole, the whole Kane Vic angle has completely killed the Kane character in my view. There's yeah. no need for it. They were not granted. They want to unify the belts. No danger. Do you know what I mean? A stupid decision, which will come back to bite him in the arse in a couple of months. Well, is it six months time, eight months time? Um, it was a. Judgment Day 2003. Oh, so it's, yeah, it's not even that then. It's not even a year. Um, so obviously it comes back to bite them in their ass. But um, yeah, the, it, stupid backstory. Not needed. Absolutely. Well, needed. Obviously they needed some form of story to bring them together, but they could have just gone with Triple H wanting to bury him. They didn't have to use the the, the Katie Vick storyline. Um, and obviously that, that hurt WWE in the long run with the sponsorships, etc. Uh, because you had HLA and then you had Katie Vick within the space of a month of each other. Yeah, we like HLA. Oh, everybody loves HLA. <laughs> um, so then, uh, oh, after the Kane um, Triple H video package ends, we then get another video package. So we're not even getting into the pay-per-view yet, and we've had two video packages in the backstage segment. It's a Brock Lesnar video, um, which I don't know if you guys picked up on it. Uh, when the, it started, you had like a... I thought it was Rusev. Right? You had like some Russian-Bulgarian guy in the background saying... I don't even know what the sentences were. Over and over again in foreign, while you had Brock Lesnar stuck in, stood run, uh, looking around looking mean. Where's your head, Kate? 
Is it haunted by ghosts from your past? Do you fear your unborn child may never see a healthy daddy? After this man unleashes his fury on you tonight. Yes, you were the phenom during a decade of destruction. And this is your signature match. One which you have ruled with domination and brutality. And, and just from what you're saying, how does that make any sense? Yeah, it, well, you had, um, you had Brock Lesnar, you, you imagine, you like, imagine Brock Lesnar, backstage setting, so you've got oil drums, smoke, Brock Lesnar's looking, just stood there in his wrestling tights, looking all mean, and then you've just got, in the background of this foreign, like, foreign language, and then Paul Heyman comes in and saying, you're not the phenom anymore, Undertaker, Brock Lesnar's the new phenom. And it was just a fucking weird video package. <laughs> I don't know how to react to that one either, to be honest. I just want to watch your version, Dave. It was just a weird. Watch it back, honestly, I promise you. Watch it back. Opening video package. Rusev is doing a promo on the back of Brock Lesnar trying to look rough. Better than George Clooney. Oh, Rusev, yeah, better than George Clooney. I'm trying to work out what you're on about then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rusev, <laughs> Rusev's killing it on Raw at the minute with his promos. Yeah, but, okay. I'm going to sidetrack and this the first sidetrack for me and I'm going to say now stop bringing Rusev out for when there's uh, old timer comes back <laughs> killing the guy because oh, oh, it shows they've got faith in they're going to trust some of the old guys yeah but it's, it's just yeah, because they're... he's the ultimate anti-American they bring out Shawn Michaels American hero yeah and they did it with Goldberg as well like, American hero bring out Nikolai Volkov and see if Rusev comes fucking out He'll come out looking. Hey, you get Hulk Hogan coming out screaming the word. Hey, um. he's coming. I'm telling you, he'll be back for Mania. You think? Yeah, yeah. He's all over now. People forget that he's a racist. People, people have forgot that Hulk Hogan's a racist and that he made a porn off for loads of money, and he'll just be welcome back in open arms into a PG product. All the black fans would love him. Oh, and... yeah, of course. They're going to bring him back. He'll have a segment with Titus O'Neil, R-Truth. Oh, no, yeah. They'll have Booker T come on. Vince McMahon will walk up and call everyone M-Word. Oh, they're going to love it. Oh, I tell you, they're going to love it. Hulk Hogan. But then again, then again. Okay, the thing is, Booker T cannot, cannot talk. Oh, he... Booker T needs to go home. He hasn't got any room to say anything because I want you to play that clip in this video, Dave, because you know exactly which one I'm on about. It's non-stop from this point on in WCW. We take what we want, and after we take Lex Luger and the Giant, we want the gold sucker. Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga. 
Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga. Remember that one? I do, I do remember. I will, yeah, no danger. <laughs> no, oh, Booker T. Do you know what always gets me about that video is like, the minute he said it, you look at Sherry Martell's face and she's like, did I just, did, uh, did, no, <laughs> Booker, Booker. <laughs> So our first match of the night, uh, is for the Raw Tag Team Titles, or the equivalent of what they'd be called now, the Raw Tag Team Titles. Um, we have got uh, Chris Jericho and Christian, who are your current reigning champions, against uh, the the uh, the Booker Dust. Is it Bo Book Dust? Is that what we're going with? Is it Book Dust or what they're going with? I've got... You've got what? Golden Truth one by <laughs> With a little bit more edge. Um, now, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but throughout the night, obviously, we've got two tag team title matches. Um, no, nobody came out. Everyone came out separately. Every single person, every team. So you've got Booker T, Goldust, separate yeah, entrances. Christian, Jericho, separate entrances. Later on the night, Angle, Benoit, separate entrances. Ray and Edge, separate entrances. Allow Resistance around at this point. Are they around? Uh, not yet. I think at 2002... Um... It was really choppy for tag teams, really. I mean, like well, yeah, I said... The on each on separate drums. You had the hands on separate drums. Yeah, but this is why I said in the in the first, off very first show, I said that ever since, you know, Edge and Christian, Dudley's, Hardy's, when they all went their separate ways, I think the WWE just went meltdown and didn't know what to do, so just chucked people together yeah. and see what happens. And that, that went on for many, many, many years. Right, look at two, 2010 with... Uh, Air boom. <laughs> Let's just throw two people together, or even um, go a little bit later on with the was it the Miz and our truth where they went up against the Rock and uh, John Cena at uh, Survive Series when they were the, awesome, awesome. the awesome truth. Do you know, it's just it's... that was his best work. That was that everything was... our has done. Yeah, that, they were really. I really enjoyed them as a tag team. Duh, seriously. Yeah, our truth, our truth getting a main event. Uh, was it Capital Punishment, whatever it was called? Main event title match against yeah. John Cena. Fuck off! I can remember, they came They came to Sheffield, um, and I went to go watch them when they were the Awesome Truth. And I can never forget when R-Truth said the best ever heel line that he could say to the fans. Everybody was booing him, and he went, You shouldn't be booing us, you should be booing yourselves. <laughs> and I thought that was brilliant, for a heel. <laughs> So yeah, so Jericho comes out first, um, and then followed in by Christian is, my God, this music, Christian's music, Christian! 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 At last, you're on your own! Awesome, one of my favourite theme tunes from this area, but the state of that fucking outfit. He's leotard. He's leotard. Yeah. Oh, man. It, uh, just, it, you look like a jobber, Christian. You look like a fucking jobber. It looks like it could be in like the Red Bull Squad. It so, was generic jobber attire. Oh, very much so. Very much generic. But he's got main event theme tune. Main event theme tune, generic jobber attire. Well, so that's why he's taking a mid-card. Yeah. Um, we see we see a couple of videos uh, while Jericho's walking down the ring. Uh, the, obviously, the build-up behind this, you've got Jericho attacking Booker T, and then the following week, which was the, the week before the pay-per-view, uh, Booker T attacking Christian. Um, Jericho and Christian, they're very apprehensive um, about who's going to start the match. 
Uh, finally, Jericho enters, but immediately tags Christian when Booker T tags. Uh, sorry, when Goldust tags Booker T. Um, so I always love that with the heels, where you've got you've got a heel where you look at Jericho and one on one encounter. Who would you pick over Jericho and Booker T? It'd be Jericho every day of the week. Uh, for me personally, anyway. But in the tag team setting, where you've got the hate, uh, the face heel dynamic, uh, Jericho plays. Well, I think Jericho and Christian, and they show through the run with the tag titles that they play that great um, heel whiny heel, very much Seth Rollins with the authority heel dynamic. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I liked, I like that sort of heelish tag team where you you really want to see them get their head kicked in. Yeah, they're the best kind of heels. It means they're doing their job right. That is it, if you're invested. Do you know what I mean? You're, there you go. <laughs> Always invested. Always. Always. Um, so the match itself, uh, Booker T starts off at 100%. Uh, absolutely all out. Um, hits a beautiful heel kick for a two count. Uh, Goldust tags in and carries on working over Christian. Um, so Christian, even, even though he's got the uh, main event music, his job retire also goes with how he starts this match. Um, he is so much the whipping boy in the opening stages. Um, Goldust hits a great, um, I didn't know what to, when I was watching the match, when I was writing my notes, I didn't know what to write down. It's like a donkey, what I call like a donkey or horse kick sort of thing where he he was in front of his opponent and then he swung his ki- his, his leg from behind him and it was a great little kick. I, I don't know how I could describe it. Uh, nobody uh, nobody remembers uh, the kick. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping somebody may remember it and it helped me out. But yeah, it was very good. It was like a back heel kick. <laughs> it was mint. It was mint. Um, uh, Jericho, uh, he then tags in, but he receives gold dust butt bump. Uh, Jerry the King Lawler and the commentators throughout the night fucking wind me up. Right, and they really do. I was sat having so many arguments with Jerry and King. Uh, Jerry and King? Jerry and JR watching this. Uh, Oh, they do my head in all night. Um, the King suggests that the name uh, of Goldust Butt Bump should be Gold Butt. That's why you shouldn't fucking work on creative, Jerry the King Lawler. Fuck me. Gold Butt. There you go. We'll call it Gold Butt. And JR just being JR goes, yeah, no danger. I agree. Yeah, we'll just go Gold, we'll go gold Butt. Gold Butt. Very clear. I like it. Uh, Goldust uh, he hits a slingshot to Jericho over the top rope to Christian, which is a pretty cool move. Uh, Goldust with Jericho in the corner. Uh, the ten punch reversal. Uh, it was really cool. How Jericho uh, kind of swiveled his body to get out of it. Got on the top rope and hit his um, his lovely flying drop kick from the top rope. Beautiful for a two count. Uh, Christian and Jericho then begin to work over Goldust, uh, which I felt at this moment watching it that we were building towards the hot tag. Then we've had a little moment where everyone's had a little. Uh, everyone's had a bit of control apart from Christian. Now Christian's helping working over, so it's building up towards that hot tag. Um, the crowd, I noticed in the opening stage of this match, was fucking bored. Like, they don't seem to wake up until we are getting to that hot tag moment where Goldust like this, and we're trying to get the fans in. The crowd just seemed bored in this opening match. Now, I know you've got, it's, for me, a tag team title match should never open a pay-per-view. It should be a one-on-one contest and get the crowd pumped up. Um, but you've got quite probably the best tag teams that Raw's got to offer at the minute, and the crowd don't seem to care. Yeah, um, I get that as well. I feel that way about the tag teams. It's like, I don't know, It's it, you've got Goldust, uh, Booker T, Christian, and Chris Jericho, and you would, I think you would expect a, a bit more liveliness from the crowd, but, you know, I think it's just the fact that Undertaker and Butler are, are in the main event, the Hell in a Cell, that's the you know your selling point of the pay-per-view. So maybe they're more pumped for that. I don't know. Yeah, no, you're probably right because all the way throughout the pay-per-view, they allude to the Hell in the Cell match throughout the night. It's every every two seconds they've got, somebody will try and point or direct the camera to the Hell in the Cell. And they do put a lot of they focus on it. it. 
Yeah, they always always talk about it. They don't don't ever shut up about it. Um, so yeah, so um, Goldust uh, he catches a clothesline which makes the crowd wake up a little bit because it's looking like um, he's gonna make a hot tag. Him and Jericho both down, but then Christian runs in and he does the whole heel tactic of punch the person that he's trying to make the tag. So he whacks Booker T. Um, so obviously that then puts um, the heels back in control. But then Goldust catches his beautiful running power slam. Now I want to discuss this for a couple of seconds. Um, apart from for me personally, Ron Simmons when he was Farouk in APA. And Randy Orton, but Randy Orton is getting very sloppy as the years go on. Who delivers a better running snap power slam like Goldust can? So, for a big guy, he can do a really good power slam. Yeah, I'm talking really good. I'm talking Goldust level. Because Goldust level, he snaps you over and he can do it on anybody. You know, to do that sort of move, I think that you have to have a certain physique. To do that, maybe you have to be Long. quite tall. Ah, uh, yeah, tall and tall and slender. I yeah. imagine. So you so you can flip your body around in the same time, but you also need to be strong enough. Yeah. So yeah, I, I would I would agree. Goldust, he still does it now, and he does it perfect. He's brilliant. So, yeah, absolutely beautiful. Um, after he does the power slam, uh, Booker T, he stares at his hand in this weird sort of way. Um, like he starts shaking, his hand starts shaking. Um, yeah, it's, it's a bit odd, but he got the crowd pumped. It was I was sat there thinking, "Fuck me, Arkansas, right? You've been quiet through quite a decent match so far, and the only time, apart from Goldust delivering his power slam, that you got excited was Booker T started going, oh, yeah, 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 with his hand. It's like, come on, man, fucking what? Because you want to see the spinneroonie. Spin People are here for the spinneroonie. Um, Goldust, he finally makes the hot tag um, after a neck breaker, and Booker T again, just like he was at the start, absolutely hundred percent. Um, hits a beautiful crescent kick to Jericho, super kick to Christian. Uh, Jericho then ducks a scissors kick, but walks into a spine buster uh, for two. Um, but then he goes for another crescent kick on Jericho, goes for the cover, uh, but then Christian, uh, he pulls um, Jericho out of the way when Booker T goes for again another crescent kick. And I just want to cover this, because we were big fans of Booker T in the opening, uh, in, especially in Vengeance. But does the man do anything else apart from fucking kick? Yeah, I would say that, and he's, he, uh, I, there's one thing about Booker T I've always noticed, uh, I don't know if you guys notice this, and I'll try and describe it the best I can, um, he, like, sort of, like, tiptoes around the ring, and his arms are always, like, flailing around, yeah, gangling around, yeah. does that make sense? No, I totally agree with you, I totally agree, it's, 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 like, it's, it's like his body's melting as he's trying to wrestle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he's dragging yeah. things with him. Yeah. He's, he, but it's Booker T, man. It's Booker T. You can't... I don't know. It's it's weird. It's hard. It's, it's weird to think that how well he was doing in WCW. I wouldn't have thought he'd be in the WWE at, at the point I was watching it. Yeah, you know, he was... Watching, watching WCW on Channel 5 and then thinking, oh, two, three years later, could I see Booker T in the WWE? No, but no. he's there. And he's, 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 well, as we discussed before, he's the only one, really, that put his footprint from when they bought WCW, who's, who's still a part of the product now. To yeah, and he, he's, he trans, he's, you know, you can put him in any any match, any position, and he always delivers, Booker T. He's a solid, yeah, solid deliverer. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And a, a brilliant moment in this match uh, that I just want to touch on before we touch into the finish. 
Um, Booker T hit a, um, a double, he got hit with a double clothesline, sorry, uh, but Goldust made the blind tag. And then Goldust hit a lovely bulldog onto Christian and Jericho. Uh, a double bulldog. Oh, it was just beautiful. It was perfectly timed. They got the camera angle great. You saw the, the uh, Goldust with Christian Jericho coming towards the camera angle. It was just, for some, I don't know why, it was just that moment, it really jumped out to me and I thought it was brilliant. Um, and then Goldust sets Christian up for the Shattered Dreams. Uh, the ref's distracted. Then he hits it. And then Jericho comes in the ring. And he drop toe holds Jericho onto Christian. And you can guess where Jericho's head went. The crowd. <laughs> the biggest pop of the night so far. Yep. We're breaking in there. Stop this. Referee sees this. It could be a disqualification. Saturday Green. Golden Golds. Oh. Oh. That was a straightaway field goal there. The finish of the match, um, it comes where Christian brings the tag belt into the ring. Um, he swings it at Booker, uh, but Booker throws him straight out. It was like a Royal Rumble elimination when they run in and get thrown straight out again. Uh, Jericho goes for the springboard dropkick, but then snap. The middle rope breaks. Yeah. Shit, you can Talk see the fear. You can see that there's, there's a moment you can stop it and you can see the exact fear on the referee's face where he thinks, shit, he knows the finish. And he's like, shit, how is Jericho going to finish this match? Yeah, that's. I, I I loved it. That's that made the match for me. Yeah, just, just what, what made the match? Like, oh. What made what made the match for me? And I'll, I'll just we'll touch onto it now. Um, obviously the the finish itself. Um, Goldust he gets back in the ring, goes for the bulldog. Uh, but Christian then puts Jericho's foot on the rope. Um, the ref's distracted, and the belt's still in the ring after Christian brought it in. Um, Jericho hits his bulldog onto Goldust, and then obviously the finish would have been the um, lion soul. But he couldn't right. do that. So Jericho then hits the top turnbuckle and hits the sweetest looking moonsault to win the match. One, two, three. In eight minutes, 47 seconds, still your tag team champions of the world are Jericho and Christian. What a moonsault. What, a mo what improvisation. Jericho not do that move wrong. Yeah, he doesn't moonsault very often off no, the top row. I, I couldn't tell you a moonsault moment. A great improvisation and shows that how he's the best in the world. He definitely is. Fuck yeah. you, Sam Punk. Congratulations to Chris Jericho becoming the new US <laughs> champion on Monday Night Raw. And obviously, WWE now saying and everyone else is saying that he's now won every belt. I disagree. I don't ever remember Jericho being hardcore champion, but we seem to tend to disagree. We disagree in this. People are. He has been. He's been the hardcore champion. I don't remember. So if I don't see it, it never happened. <laughs> Say again. I swear it was invasion. invasion time. That's when he was hardcore chunky. I may have to do and do, go away and have a have a look. Have a look. So then we get to uh, a backstage segment where we have Jesus fucking Christ, Funaki. It's I'd I'd love to know the creative meeting where they went. Now Funaki, we've got an idea for you, right? As about we know you're Japanese, yeah, but as about trying to be an American, trek it piss out of someone that is Japanese. And Funaki went, yeah, no problem, no problem. So Funaki is SmackDown number one announcer. He has a one-hour one interview with Al Wilson. This is Funaki, SmackDown number one announcer. Funaki has book scoop a one-on-one -on -one interview with Tori Wilson's father, Al. Right, the interview itself was a fucking joke. It was like... 
they asked him every question. How do you feel about this? And Al's going, um, um, um. How do you feel about this, Al? Um, um. And then he does a fucking Bill Clinton reference when I had not have sexual relations with that woman. Fuck off, WWE. Honestly, this is this is a pay-per-view. We don't need it. We're not all Wilson's a pervert and he's getting with Domery. We don't need it. Good lad. See, I fought good lad back in 2002. But the more I look at Domery in this period of time from an adult's perspective... I don't. I don't know if I don't see it anymore. No, I don't. She's got. She's what I would like to call a butterface. <laughs> and for people that doesn't know what a butterface is, everything is nice on her butterface. Body off day watch, face off crime watch. Yeah, or a 16, 16, 64. Body of a sixteen-year-old, face of a sixty-four-year-old. <laughs> 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 so that leads us on to our next match of the night, uh, which is the I don't even know what you want to call it, but it's Dormarie versus Tory fucking Wilson, and they're having a match because Tory's father has been shagging Dormarie. Uh, Dawn Marie, when she came out, I don't know if anybody noticed um, her outfit. It was like she took a pen knife to it. She just had like um, sh- like just a crop top and pants, but it looked like at the start she thought, no, this isn't good enough. So I'll rip this bit here, and I'll rip that bit here, and I'll rip another bit. It was like, come on, Dorothy. Is that the best you can do, Dom- uh, with your uh, to give yourself a, a character, let's say? Because from what I remember, she wasn't a massive wrestler, like in ECW. The females weren't wrestlers. They were just beat up by just incredible every night, every two minutes. Or Tommy Dreamer pile drives a woman through a table on fire. I mean, they weren't wrestlers. So I don't quite ever remember Dormarie actually wrestling, but terrible wrestling attire. But speaking of terrible wrestling attire, Tori Wilson then comes out wearing John Cena's wrestling attire. She has got John Cena, Vengeance, 2002, our first episode, guys, check it out. Um, John Cena with his red pants and his white trim. Tori Wilson has the identical fucking pants on, I'm telling you now. <laughs> and matching top as well. And matching top. And matching top. Wait, WWE at this point, though... They weren't budgeting, were they? Did they just think, oh, we'll take Cena's pants and make them smaller so Tori can get into them? I, yeah, I think it, it, I, I, yeah, I reckon it, that's exactly how it went down. <laughs> this is probably me being gullible or trying to be funny when I'm probably not. <laughs> um, the start of the match uh, was something that I crave for these days. Um, it, it had the blood feud feel. Do you know what I mean? You're Tori Wilson. Your dad is... is getting involved with your rival who he shouldn't be you want to rip her head off as soon as the match starts Tori's bam she's down there and they're fighting straight away that's how a feud should be I know it's only Tori Wilson yeah. or Marie and it's 2002 and it really doesn't matter it's just a filler match for this card but that's how a feud should be when it's a fucking feud like with the whole Paige and is it Paige and Charlotte last year where they were going on yeah. the, the death of Reed you'd want to rip her yeah. fucking head off that match had two minutes of walking around each other. Yeah. Yeah, so the match itself, um, yeah, on the card, this is the worst match of the night. Um, it had a terrible build-up, and the match itself was even worse. Um, it, like I said, it had a good start with the little, like, the blood feud. Um, Tory Wilson started, like, putting the boots in. A terrible clothesline, a terrible sunset flip. Um, everything just looked awkward. Uh, Tory Wilson did hit a nice drop kick from the uh, second rope. Um, it was all right. Do you know what I mean? If, you, if you're going to look at it from a Tory Wilson level of match, the dropkick was okay. Then Dawn Marie takes her out to the outside and she then uh, takes control of the match. Uh, she drives Tory into the barrier uh, and then begins working on Tory's back. Uh, body slam, surfboard, 
uh, loads of Tory screaming, um, overselling so much. Nobody, uh, Tory Wilson wrestling class. I don't know if it was Billy Kidman that taught her how to wrestle or kind of taught her how to take a bump. He should have said, you don't need to go, ah, to every single move. Like, you, we understand it hurts, Tory. Yeah, we get that bit. It's wrestling. We understand that bit. We get that. We don't need the, we don't need the vocals. We don't need the audio so much. Um, and then the greatest bit of the match, Mike Sparks, our referee of this uh, this encounter, he gets him some. Uh, we get into a, we get into a uh, cat fight. Let's say Joey Styles would be have orgasming with the cat fight. Uh, Mike Sparks tries to separate him, and all of a sudden Mike Sparks is now the meat in a Tory Wilson Domery sandwich, and they're rolling over the canvas over and over. The crowd are going wild for it. They all want to be Mike Sparks. Uh, Mike Sparks then, the camera pans through him after he gets out, and he has got the biggest, perviest, cheesiest grin you've ever seen on a referee in your entire life. <laughs> best night of his life, ever. Uh, best night of his life, guaranteed. I bet, I'd like to think, well, if he's married, I can guarantee his wedding night weren't as good as that night. Not for Mike Sparks, not with that smile. That smile, that smile wasn't in the script. That smile, he was happy. Um, so the finish of the match, um, it comes with uh, Tori Wilson, she flips Dawn off the top rope, hits a, like a flapjack sort of style of thing, um, hits a running net breaker in 4 minutes and 41 of utter abysmal dog's bollocks shite, um, claims the victory. Um, and then we go backstage uh, with the coach, uh, with Rob Van Dam. Uh, we obviously, with Rob Van Dam, building up for his match later on with Ric Flair. I don't know, it just, I'm not up for this. It, Ric Flair, I don't know what it is. Uh, I remembered, I have fond memories. I thought I had fond memories of Ric Flair in this period. But we've had his feud with Jericho, he's now his feud with Rob Van Dam. Um, obviously, we, we know we've got semi-good things to come on the horizon with Evolution. But at this minute in time, are you, CJ, are you invested in Ric Flair against Rob Van Dam? No, and I'll tell you why. Uh, RVD's feud with Triple H was bland. Uh, Ric Flair's feud with Chris Jericho was bland. And there's two key characters in both those feuds that were bland. Ric Flair and Rob Van Dam. Now, you don't put, you know, the two shittest ones against each other. No. That's the best way I can describe it. It's just a disaster waiting to happen. And, you know, what are you going to get? You can get a rolling thunder... And then you're going to get chops. That's what you get. And then a five-star frog splash. And then a figure four leg drop. That's uh, leg leg lock. That's what you're looking forward to in that match. That is it. Yeah, totally. Um, and this this promo, uh, well, this backstage interview, um, it did raise a little bit of a smile uh, where they were talking about the comparisons. Um, he said uh, where Rob Van Dam, he did chain smoking, woo, frog splashing, risk taking, Yinning and yagging, Van Dominating, dude. As for RVD, I don't style. I don't profile. Limos, I don't need them. You can catch me in line of hurts waiting to drive myself to the next town. Hey, I'm just that way. Jets, I fly commercial. Quite often I even get stuck in coach. No offense. Bro, I even get stuck in the middle seat sometimes. Eh. Me, I guess I'm more of a chair smashing. Woo! Frog splashing. Risk taking. 
complaining. Woo, woo, woo. Van Damenating, dude. And then the coach is about to hand back to ringside, but then he spots Tracy, Brock Lesnar, and Heyman walking. Uh, he tries getting a word with Heyman and Lesnar, not having none of it. Tracy, she stops, and then she says she can't wait to see the scumbag, the Undertaker, get his dessert, just desserts tonight. Fuck off, Tracy. So our next match, uh, which is Rob Van Dam versus Ric Flair. Uh, <coughs> the crowd was hot for Ric Flair uh, when he came out, and his theme music, absolutely love it. Uh, I absolutely love it. The aura of Ric Flair is still going strong. Even though Ric Flair in ring is, is a chop kick party, but the uh, the aura of Ric Flair making his entrances is still going strong for me. Did they have a bit of a, an issue back then with um, copyright with his theme song? I'm not sure. Yes, it was. Because, not, you know... It's, it's not it's, because 2000 was based on his song. Yeah, there's the original that goes... Da, da, and then the one that he's been going out to recently is da, da. Yeah, I just wondered if maybe the copyright. Did it really have the rights until like two thousand four? I think. Well, it's a ma- it's a massive, massive song. Yeah. Right? The film two thousand was based on obviously that song was written for that film. In two thousand. It was it was in like nineteen sixty something seventy something. Ah, so they must get royalties from that song when it's played. Yes. That's why they're having copyright issues. Ding ding! There you go. There that you is. Go. The Dry Span Sports Entertainment's number one fact, no mercy. So yeah, as I said, the the crowd was really hot for Ric Flair making his entrance, um, and then Rob Van Dam made his entrance, um, and he looked really stern and angry and mad. It's like there was no pandering to the crowd, there was just Rob Van Dam looking directly at the ring, going towards, so we're getting another, and it had a bit of a, a blood feud sort of start, they went straight away to Brawl to the outside, um, Rob Van Dam, he did a, a brilliant, uh, I absolutely love it when he does it, his spinning leg drop from the uh, rings onto the uh, barricade. Do you know he jumps from the ring apron? I love that. Love that spot. Oh, and he did that He did that again, absolutely love that spot. Uh, the, the match uh, itself, it finally begins, uh, and Rob Van Dam hits Rolling Thunder for two. Uh, Flair begs off, but then hits a, a good old eye rake uh, to take control. He delivers some chops, uh, but then gets thrown into the corner for his uh, flare flop early on. So flares it, and his big moves out straight away. He's done two chops, and he's done his upside down flare flop. That's the, that's it. You've paid your money. That's Rick Flair. He's done his bit. Um, Jr. Uh, uh, Rob Van Dam delivered a kick, and Jr. went, "Oh, he delivered it right to the solar plexus." Gorilla Monsoon back in the nineties. He used to come out with some stu- like the double noggin knocker for the double head butt. Uh, what I I miss stupid. Commentary, I think. I, th- I really do, and I, like, well, uh, educated feet, the educated feet, Rob Van, blinking, you'll miss him. I look, why don't commentators big up wrestlers like that anymore? Because they get paid to talk about Twitter and the sponsors. Do you know? I read something yesterday actually that I'd, I'd never ever read before about that. Do you know when Jr. got fired or got replaced by Michael Cole in the, the recent times over Raw? Um, Joe, is because JR refused to promote Twitter? I did not know that. I didn't. 
I didn't until I read it, and it was, and then I had to read it again, and then read another article to make sure that it weren't just someone creating it on a dirt sheet somewhere. But it, yeah, it seems like it's a, an actual publicly knowledge uh, comment. It was like he, he didn't want to promote the YouTube and the app and the fucking Twitter and that. He wanted to call the matches. He wanted to tell you about Jack Swagger playing professional American football when he was twelve year old. He wanted to tell you, he wanted to tell a story, and they didn't want him to. They wanted him to push the fucking the app and shit like that. Surely they could have just got Cole or King to do that while JR does the calling. That was exactly what my mindset went to, but do they want the voice that you hear all the time? Like, they use Michael Cole as the voice of WWE. He's the voice on all the shit that they do when they're advertising stuff. He's always there. Um, like, I don't know if you noticed, they launched the United Kingdom Championship on Blue Peter yesterday. Blue Peter. Really? Of all yeah, for, for those guys who don't know what Blue Peter is, uh, Blue Peter is like a, a long-running kids' TV programme. Uh, it comes on like uh, after, the, after kids finish school. Um, and they, they, they've launched the, the first time people actually could touch the belt, etc. Um, was on Blue Peter. You had uh, Michael Cole and Nigel McGuinness there, I think. Really? Yeah, because can't wrestle anymore. Oh, that, yeah. that, that is a massive year. I, I do remember Nigel McGuinness from his TNA days. Oh, he's brilliant. He's great on the mic. He's got that that perfect London accent that works so well on the yeah. on the on the mic. What did you think to um oh, I can't remember his name now. World of Sport, the guy that commented on that New Year's Eve. Oh Shane, Shane. Alex Shane. Alex Shane. Yeah, I, he was I think it worked. I managed to watch it a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I managed to watch it a couple of weeks ago and I think it worked it was alright to be fair. It was it was very much the Grado show. Uh, but the commentary, yeah, it seemed to work. JR, he's not got it anymore. You could tell that he's not got the. I don't think he's got the passion anymore that he had no. in Austin McMahon era. But he still can call a match, and he can still bloody call a match better than a lot of people can at the minute. Yeah, I agree. No, yeah. Um, what what got me with the match was the was the focus on um, slowing Rob Van Dam down. Ric Flair spent a lot of time working on Rob Van Dam's knee. Um, so, obviously, you, you can't fault Ric Flair. He, st- he can tell stel- a story, but how much offence can you actually do when you're Ric Flair? When you can't do... You're not a submissions guy, really. I know you've got a figure four, but you're not a submissions guy. What offence, apart from kicks, can you do when you're working on somebody's knee? That's a good question. That really is a good question. I've never actually been asked that question before. Because I know yeah. Triple, H, Triple H used to do it a lot, when Triple H used to use the figure four. Um, especially we're going to see it in the, later on in the timeline when he starts getting a lot more uh, involved with Ric Flair um, and he starts incorporating a lot of Ric Flair's mannerisms into his matches uh, and he starts using so he starts working on the leg a lot but Triple H can do various like spinning toe holds and leg holds and stuff Ric Flair you don't ever see him do anything like that um, so what work I said apart from a, a chop block to the to the knee to get you onto the uh, onto the canvas to begin with and then kicks stomps what the fuck do you do I think it was bad storytelling. I think they could have... Obviously, they've got to find a way of... You're Ric Flair, you need to neutralise Rob Van Dam's offence. But focusing on the knee for 99% of the match, um, it was dull. Uh, again, as we, as we discussed at the, the start of it, um, Ric Flair, you're starting to really annoy me. And I was a big fan of you, Ric Flair. And um, it's starting to change. My opinion is starting to drastically change. I don't think Flair's going to have a big running match until for at least, what, six years? Uh, does does he, become, he becomes tagged champions with Batista? Yeah. Big things are big <laughs> things are on the horizon for the Nature Boy. Um, so yeah, thing- I think this, I think what Mike's getting at is though Ric Flair, no sure. memorable matches. 
don't remember what we've actually had. No, there isn't, there isn't one. If, if you say... Right, so the finish yeah. to Rob Van Dam and um, Ric Flair. Um, obviously, like we've been discussing, Ric Flair was working on Rob Van Dam's leg the whole match. Right, Rob Van Dam was selling it the whole match, apart from the finish. Um, he gets in control, he hits Rolling Thunder, where he runs to the ropes, runs back, does his little flip-de-do, hits his Rolling Thunder, doesn't sell the leg, up to the top, five-star frog splash, sells his chest like he always does when he hits his five-star, gets the win in eight minutes and one second, but then goes to celebrate by standing on the middle rope towards the crowd. Now, you've been selling your knee for the entire match, and now you're jumping up and down on the rope like there's nothing wrong with it. It's just a little bit, do you know what I mean? Rob Van Damme's a, an experienced pro. You think he should have just reined it in a little bit with a celebration? Yeah, I think maybe he just, he just forgot. He made over-excitement, just got win over Ric Flair. That's maybe stunned. <laughs> Did you say stoned or stunned? Stunned. No one gets higher than Rob. What, so they were allowed to take weed back in the day then? Um, I, I don't, well, I imagine so, because there was no wellness policy. Like the well, the, the wellness policy only came into effect like um, it was like oh six oh six Benoit time, um, and then yeah. and then a big crop of them all got like Randy Orton Edge. Uh, I think they were the two biggest ones. About a crop, about thirty of them all got suspended at once. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and then from there on, um, they do the random drug testing now, where Randy Orton keeps getting suspended every sixteen months. They all look the same though. Every, that's that's what annoys me. Like I know obviously drugs isn't good. Um, but they all look the same now. They all look generic. Small, like back then, they all had, they all look. Yeah, they all look different back then. They all had their own individually, individual individuality and their own look. And now it's like because they can't take drugs and can't enhance themselves, they look very samey. Everybody looks the same to me, apart yeah. from a, a few. Yeah, maybe no, like Bray Wyatt. Nobody looks like superhuman anymore. No. Do you know what I mean? Like you used to look at like even going back to the late 80s with your Hogans and your your Warriors, they were these myth mythological creatures near enough with how yeah. big they were and they like Roman Greek gods. This is my concern. Well, it's not a concern. It's just it's, with with this new era of wrestlers coming on board, they, they seem to be getting smaller and smaller because obviously they're all living, it's a completely full fitness lifestyle now compared to where back in the Hogan days it was a cocaine and steroids lifestyle. The only good thing to come out of it will be you know, when Seth Rollins and, and Roman Reigns are Hulk Hogan's age, they'll probably be quite fit and healthy. They'll be still alive. That's, I think yeah. that, that's the thing. It's like you look at how many wrestlers have... Um, I think Wikipedia's even got its own page to it now um, of how many wrestlers that have died under the age of 50. Eddie and Ben Watts name a few. Yeah. Well, it's, even go before that, there was... Um, I was reading something the other day. Uh, Royal Rumble 92. I think it's like 18 of the 30 members of the Royal Rumble are, are dead. Which is mad. It's absolutely crazy to think about. Yeah, just looking at a video now, I'm watching. I'm currently watching No Mercy, but I'm looking at the Intercontinental promotion video. And a lot of the people I can see on the screen that are coming up, a lot of them are dead. Yeah. I'll name them all now. Well, I won't go through the names, but a lot of them are looking at, like, I think every one in every three is dead. It is. It's, um, it's, it's scary to think about. It is really... But... Again, it's like we've just covered then um, in 20, 30 years' time because of the wellness policy and because of the steroid um, investigations in the WWE over the years, um, it's now come to the point where, like you said, your Seth Rollins, your Roman Reigns, when they're 60, 70, 80, 
touch wood, they'll still be as as physically well, not physically fit, but they'll still be alive. Where I think Rollins is going to be in CrossFit when he's seventy. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, but that's it. It's like I said though. It's uh, back in the day, they kind of didn't do anything like that. There was as long as you looked the part. It didn't really matter. You, as long as you were, you had muscles on top of muscles, muscles in places that I don't even have places. Um, that that's all that mad. I quickly go to it, CJ, as you just alluded to it then with the IC title video. Um, obviously, this is as it stands, um, the last time that we're going to see the IC title. Um, I've got a few facts about the IC title. Longest reigning IC champ, yeah, Onky Tonk Man. Everyone's aware, common knowledge. Santino Morella tried beating it when he had his uh, his his uh, little honky meter thing that he had going on. Um, who's the shortest reigning IC champion? Kane. No. Uh. You want to go... It's 1996, I believe. Dean Douglas. On the money. On the money. And do you know the, t- do you know the time length? It was less than... It wasn't even four episodes in a row, was it? It was 13 minutes. <laughs> From what I remember, it was involving the Shawn Michaels... Uh, I think yeah. he, did he not win? Sean sure didn't want to drop it to him. Yeah, Sean sure didn't want so to drop it to him. Did he? No, he the awarded it. Yeah, then... yeah. Um, the oldest IC champion, Nick Flair, on the money at fifty-six years old. The youngest IC champion, Randy Orton. No. Brock Lesnar. No. The Rock. No. Triple H. No. You want to be looking? When did he win his first IC? No. When did he win his first? Uh, Jeff Hardy. Ah. 23. Yeah, 23 years old. Um, The heaviest IC champion. Big Ship. On the money. And the lightest IC champion. Ray. On the money. On the money. I think Michael wins there. Michael loves the Intercontinental Championship too much. Michael with his IC championship. It's the workhorse title. (laughs) It, it, It used to be... It used to be the um, the title that men you're going to be in the main event this time next year. I think the, no, the... It's, it used to be a stepping stone title. No, lately, last few years, it's been a generic title. Yeah, but that's because they use they use stuff like Money in the Bank. Money in the Bank yeah. now. Money in the Bank is the equivalent of the IC title in the late eighties, early nineties. Where if you had that, you knew that you were going to be main eventing um, in the next six to eight months. And I think that's that's what they use now, and it's the IC. It's, well, I think all the belts really—they've never meant more. It meant less than they do currently. There's so much a prop. Yeah, those two titles are annoying, but the Intercontinental and the US Championship have no meaning. So yeah, then we cut backstage um, to a very very angry Big Show. Um, he's very upset at Eric Bischoff. Uh, very very upset, and he's uh, he's having a chat with Steph. Um, it, it looks like his Big Show going to be the next one to jump ship. Uh, Bischoff comes in, not very happy. And obviously he's talking to Steph and then Big Show puts his hands on Bischoff uh, and I'm sure that that's going to have uh, repercussions in the not too near distant future for Mr. Show. It's not right and you know it's not right. I know it's not right, but Sean, I don't really think I'm the one to be giving you advice. I mean, I can't do anything about it. You know who you should be talking to. I know who I should be talking to. I just got to figure out what I'm going to... What's going on here? What is this? You know what? Right now, you really don't want to know. No, I do want to know. You see, because you're raw property, which means you're my property. 
and I demand to know what the hell is going on here. Well, I'm just going to back out. I mean, I'll let you two talk raw things. You want to know what's going on, Eric? I'll tell you what's going on. I was talking to Stephanie about the fact that I haven't been on a pay-per-view since July. I haven't headlined a pay-per-view in I don't know how long. I'm a giant. I'm 7'2". I'm 500 pounds. Former WCW champion. I'm a former WWE champion. And yet, what am I doing? I'm standing around with my thumb up my ass because of you. But let me tell you something, show. You don't take that tone with me. And you don't ever, ever talk to Stephanie McMahon, period. You understand that? Just who the hell do you think you are? Yeah, who the hell do you think you are? I am a very angry giant. I should be in the main events. But I suggest you put me there soon. Because the next time I get my hands around your neck, I'm going to stand it like a twig. Maybe he'll get three minutes. Maybe he'll get three minutes. Where are where are three minutes? Where are they? Yeah, I want to know that. At the buffet. <laughs> <laughs> are you two boys ready for another episode of the Rufus Aggression Era quiz? Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Hell yeah. Right, it's the exactly same format as what we had on the Christmas episode. Um, five clues, five points available if you get it on the first clue. Four points, three points, two points, one point. Uh, you've got two goals each, uh, and we'll see how we get on. Um, flip of the imaginary coin makes CJ first. Uh, CJ, for five points, this wrestler from the Rufus Aggression era debuted in the 1980s as part of a tag team. Shawn Michaels. For five points. The answer is Shawn Michaels. Woo! Yes! <laughs> I'm very happy. What a start. What a start. Uh, the other clues for four points. Uh, Shawn Michaels was a four-time world champion. For three points, he was a two-time Royal Rumble winner. For two points, he was founder of DX. And for one point, he was the, used to host the Heartbreak Hotel segment on Superstars. Michael, are you ready? Yes. You need to get this in five points, or this is going to make the next, the next set very interesting. For five points, which wrestler from the Rufus Aggression era originally signed for the WWE in 2001 along with his brother? <laughs> Say again. Ah, I don't know something. I don't know. No, it's been that brothers. Shall we move on? Yeah. For four points, this wrestler joined the roster as part of a tag team and went on to hold the SmackDown tag team titles on two occasions. Was it Charlie Haas? For four points, the answer Whoa. is Charlie Haas. 
The uh, the other clues would have been for three points, he's married to a former WWE diva. Uh, for two points, he's a former Ring of Honor Tag Team Champion. And for one point, he was part of Team Angle. So maybe he had a brother called Russ who died. It was Russ who unfor yep, unfortunately passed away after they both signed yeah, in like, yes, 2001. Uh, right, CJ, so currently as it stands, you are leading five to four. Your second and final question for five points. This wrestler of the Ruthless Aggression era debuted in the WCW as a three-man team. Um, Greg, Gregory Helms, Hurricane Helms. No. For four points, this wrestler wrestled in the WWE, TNA, WCW, and the WECW. Can I ask a question? No. Um, Shannon Moore. For four points. The answer <laughs> is Shannon really? Moore. Oh my god, Sophie. <laughs> four points. So, Michael, you need to get this in five points to send it to a tie. To send it to a tie. For five points, which wrestler in the Ruthless Aggression era wrestled for the ECW between 1995 and 1999? <coughs> that now is down fucking no one. Uh, yeah, got like eighty eight names. Just, just pick one then. Taz. No. For four points, this wrestler from the Ruthless Aggression era is a former twenty-three-time World Tag Team Champion. Bubba or Devon? Bubba? Dudley? No. Oh, no. For three points. For three points. For three points, the answer is Devon Dudley. Uh, the clues would have been uh, for three points, um, he is a spawn of Daddy Dudley. Uh, for two points, he was paired with Batista when Batista debuted in WB. And for one point, he was once a reverend. So, congratulations, CJ. That is another episode of the Ruthless Aggression Era Quiz, and I believe that is your first victory. So, congratulations, well done. I smashed that. I'm well happy with it. Mike, any, uh, any last I words? I got through. I got through. I, would, I don't know. I don't think you'd have got my questions. I don't. Sure, Michaels was a lucky guess, and Shannon Moore, that was. I was thinking three count. Who's the other guy with this ridiculous six-pack? Uh, Evan Courageous. That's him. Evan Courageous. Um, so, up next um, is our Cruiserweight title match. Um, it is Jamie Noble versus Tajiri. Um, we get a, a video package um, of the obviously the build-up on, Smack, on SmackDowns um, running up to this, where they have the boyfriend-girlfriend match uh, of Jamie Noble versus Nidia with Tajiri as referee. Um, Jamie Noble's theme, theme tune. Wow. Fuck. No, I, I disagree. I think it was brilliant. I'd absolutely brilliant. And is that, and I can't quite remember from back in the day, because um, obviously I watched that on the network. Is the theme on the network his actual theme they had back then? Yeah. Brilliant. Even better. Yeah, right go.
um, great little, I'd say, back and forth at the beginning of the match. Um, and then we get some, like, medium sort of wrestling, me- medium, I don't know how to describe it. Um, they're just, like, going at it, if you will. Um, and then slowly, Jamie gets a cheat, cheats, and has needed to help him as well. Um, but yeah, and Tajiri, he is on fire in this match, and I'm quite surprised he doesn't pull the win out. Um, I actually thought Tajiri would win this. Yeah, I, if you look at most of the match, um, like with with majority of um, your heel face dynamic where the heel's the champion, it's usually that John Cena syndrome where they'll get beat up for 20 minutes and then come back at the end. Where this, it was Tajiri was in control for a lot of the match. Um, obviously, Noble would get his moments where he would take over. Um, like um, what I cut, spoke about earlier before we started recording, um, I absolutely love this match purely for Jamie Noble. Um, it was so vocal. Every every attack on Tajiri, it was in his thick, uh, hick American accent. It was like, "Come on, boy! Come on, boy! Get up, boy!" Noble, I love you. Oh, brilliant. Do you know what I mean? You need more of that. Something I do love about Kevin Owens, present day, how vocal he is during a match. Do you know what I mean? Because there's that many microphones, especially modern day, round a ring, um, why not be more vocal? Because it gets picked up by everybody. Um, one moment that I just want to touch on it, because it's the first time of the night that the SmackDown commentary team are annoying me on the same levels of Jerry the King Lawler and fucking JR. Um, Jamie Noble had to jeer it in a rest hold. And Michael Cole said... Jamie Noble is working over Tajiri. The camera then pans to Nidia, where Taz pipes up and said, I'd work over that. And then it goes to work on it. Yeah, I wish I could work on that. Yo! <laughs> Nidia, huh? <laughs> oh, you're so annoyed. You're, you're annoyed at that, aren't you? You don't like it when they pan away from the wrestling match onto other characters. I don't like it when they're being perverts. I, don't like I do. I think it's great entertainment. I... Oh, no. No, it's not 1999 anymore. Does that not give you a bit of variety, though? Ish. Ish. But I don't know about you. They, they come to a point in life where I was sick of seeing the, the pillow fights and the bra and patronage matches. And I know the little the little perverted in, uh, boy inside me. Don't get me wrong. I love seeing a bit of bra and panties. But I don't know. I, I, I think it should just be shown with a bit... I don't know, with the same... I don't know if I'm seeing women's wrestling like everyone looks at it today, where they're shown a bit, a lot more respect and they're taken serious. I just don't think women's wrestling was taken serious in 2002. No, I agree. I agree with that. But if you're a pervy fan and you go to me and you want to see some raw panties, you're going to get Of course you do. Um, as, as we'll come to a bit later in the card, um, with the Trish Stratus-Victoria match, the opening three seconds after the ring bell, the crowd are chanting for puppies. Fuck you, King. You, you, you've <laughs> done that to them. You've done that to them. Just, just on a, a little side note, right? I want to know this. I don't know. I don't know the answer. Where in the blue hell did Jamie Noble come from? How? When did he appear on our TV screens? Uh, invasion was it? It was Invasion when he was, it was part of like WCW's B team when there'd always be like backstage segments where you'd have like. It was an indie kid. Yeah, no, he, he came. He came from WCW. Yeah, he was part of the Young Dragons in WCW. Was it? Yeah, which were a three man, a three man like kung fu martial artist team. Um, you had um, there was Jamie Noble, um, Jimmy, uh, Wang Yang. Jimmy Wang Yang. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think for life, mate, who other guy was. But yeah, that's how he originally came. And then the Jamie Noble trash gimmick that you see now in WWE is 
what Jamie Noble was in his later years in WCW. Right, okay. I just, I've always wondered. There's always, I've known about him when he was in WCW, but I've always trying to wonder where the transcendence. Yeah, I'm sure he was part of the invasion where they had like the backstage segments where you had all the shit like Chuck Palumbo's and your Shane Helms of the world. I'm sure Jamie Noble was always there. And then also when Nidia won tough enough, they brought, they paired them together. You know when I was saying about the last pay per view that we had, seemed more like a Raw pay per view. Yeah. This pay-per-view seems more like a SmackDown pay-per-view. Yes, it, I think it's because the focus is on SmackDown. You've got the Hell in the Cell, which is the main event, um, and then you've got the uh, the tag team titles, uh, which is obviously they, they they talk about them all night because it's. Uh, oh no, definitely, definitely. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot more focus apart from the the Katie Vick. Um, there's there's not much really else going on on Raw. Do you know what I mean the tag team match? The tag team belts was the opening match of the card, and that was flat. Um, You've got Rob Van Dam against Ric Flair. That's like their second biggest feud, and that was flat. So yeah, I just think Raw's Raw, main event was the women's title. Yeah, do you know what I mean that was that was Raw's last match on the card? Really shows the the quality over on Raw, doesn't it? Dave? I think we're starting to see it. I think we I know we we alluded to it. Um, I think Unforgiven <clears throat> that in the not too near distant future we're going to start to see that the talent starts coming through on SmackDown. And I think this could be the pay-per-view that sets it all off, especially with the tag team match, because the crowd was into that, and obviously we'll come on to that a bit later, but they were into that match. Uh, and I think they're starting to see that, I think fans are more, they're starting to now get a bit more wiser. I don't know whether they want to see serious mat wrestling a bit more, uh, a bit more high energy, compared to um, the slow and methodical wrestling styles of 2002 Ric Flair. I don't know. I've... Me personally, as a wrestling fan, I find it hard watching watching a full three hours right now. Oh, I, I, I can't watching... remember last time I did. Yeah, even when I watch full... it live, I watch it on a time delay so I can fast forward. Yeah, well, the two hours of SmackDown, I, I still have to fast forward a little bit. There's only certain matches I want to watch on both shows. Yeah, and it's. it's... You just make both shows ninety minutes long. Yeah, it's well, it's 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 that thing. It's like look at the NXTs. Do you know what I mean? It's an hour, is it? An hour, NXT? Yeah. Um, and that seems to keep people invested. So it's... It, but it's, but it's like, we spoke, like we spoke about earlier, it's it's all about um, A, sponsorships, and B, TV networks. It's what they demand now, and Vince, Vince will happily uh, just roll over and let him tickle his belly. Do you know what I mean? As long as they're paying him enough money, he'll happily put the content out. Um, but when you're getting the same... Um, like, like with the Raw's main event, with your Reigns, Rollins, Jericho and Owens, when you're getting these four wrestling each other week in, week out, and not just having one segment on a Raw, having two or three or four segments, and then having two pay-per-views every like six weeks, um, do you know I mean? you're going to get bored eventually of seeing the same. Like the, ma the main events on both brands are not great, but at least SmackDown mix it up a little bit with their, like Dean Ambrose will be in and out in the main event, Ziggler will be in and out in the main event, Corbin's here and there and everywhere. Um, but with Raw, it's these set four, and then that's your set four. You know what your main event's going to be. It's going to involve some form of match involving them four wrestlers. Yeah, the first, I think the past two weeks, hasn't Seth Rollins fought Braun Strowman? Yeah. Yeah. And they make a big deal out of it. Right. Yeah, it's the, don't get me wrong, I quite like Braun Strowman. I think he's, he's still... Bit, he's, he's improving. Still, yeah, he's still green, but he is improving, and he's, he's, not, he's, he's not main event. He's not main event material. Do you know what I mean? Compare him against how Brock Lesnar burst onto the scene. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Launching the Hardy Boys round like ragdolls. Instantly wins King of the Ring. Um, do you know what I mean? Instantly wins the title. Um, you're pushing... Made Hulk Hogan submit. Yeah, kills Hulk Hogan. Do you know what I mean? They pushed him to the moon and they're doing that with Braun Strowman. Yeah, but well, what, what talent has Braun Strowman got to destroy at the moment, really? Brock Lesnar had, back then, back our timeline that we're talking about now, Brock Lesnar had so much more talent to get through know, and destroy. Of course, of course. The, the What's Braun Strowman got? He's got Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens, Chris Jericho. And Roman Reigns. Yeah, that's because they're, they're not making any more main eventers. They've, 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 they've relied heavily too much on John Cena and Randy Orton for the past 10 years. That they've, they've forgot how to make a main eventer and they've had to get indie darlings in that people are fan base of anyway to, to kind of create their own main event. Like, look at Seth Rollins. Obviously, everyone knew him on the indie scene. Same with Kevin Owens. They're two of the biggest guys. AJ Styles. Do you know what I mean? They're three biggest guys in the company at the minute. Um, everybody else who's WWE produced, like your Dolph Ziggler's and your Roman Reigns's, they just they will never get over as main event. Never. Right, so the um, the finish of Tajiri and Jamie Noble, um, it came when uh, Tajiri goes for a victory roll, uh, but Nidia grabs Noble's uh, leg for leverage, so he puts Noble in control, um, and he gets the one, two, three. <laughs> Post, in the, that's eight minutes and 15. Um, Post-match, um, Tajiri steals a kiss off Nidia. <laughs> and then, uh, Jamie Noble goes, let me show you how a real man does it. And then as soon as he gets to kiss him, Tajiri gives Jamie Noble a kick in the back of his head. So that tells me that this uh, rivalry has not ended at no mercy. Tajiri realizes what Nidia did. Oh, Tajiri's on a happy camper. Hey! Now he's a horny one. Horny, what the hell? Tajiri is living like a Nidia. He's kissed, kissed everybody out here except the And I think that Nidia may have liked it. Oh, man, as long as it's a coach, she's moving on. Noble's going to show it how a Good. I think it's a good one. Well, I think we need to see more Jamie Noble. We need more Jamie Noble. This has now been a, a four-month title run, uh, and we've seen him defend the title twice on a pay-per-view. It's not... Yeah. The, the Cruiserweight division is not... You're kind of looking at these early state, well, uh, this sort of era of it, um, it's not the um, made out to be, especially in 2002. Scotty Too Hot, he held it, for God's sake. Yeah, Scotty Too Hot, he held it. Did he not? Did he hold it though when it was still the light, the lightweight championship? Lightweight, yeah. Yeah. No, he was cruiserweight. Oh, did he? I remember him and Dean Malenko having a rivalry on Sunday Night Heat back in like 2000 over the light heavyweight title. Scotty Too Hot, Spike Dudley. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but... <laughs> they're, they're the three I can think of. Right? Uh, That's how... <laughs> now you said that, that's the only three I can think of. Uh, Jacqueline, Owen Swaggle. Yeah. That's when he died, didn't it? Yeah. But then you had yeah. like, uh, Gregory Helms, didn't he hold it? He was like one of the longest reigning champions. Yeah. That's him, yeah. Gregory Helms had it. That's his That's his claim to fame. Yeah. Um, Paul... They did a great job. Did Paul London have it at one point, I think? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't the, like, if people talk about the Cruiserweights, people always mention... Matt Hardy had it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, was it WrestleMania when Matt Hardy had it? Yeah. Well, defended it against Rey Mysterio? And it was, he had that funny, um, the segment where he was, um, training to lose weight. Yeah. 
I remember that. Well, I always remember one similar to that was back in the um, was it like the early two thousands with Christian on Heat. Mick Foley was like, "You need to lose weight," uh, so he gave him this chicken suit. So he's running around backstage the whole of Heat in this chicken suit, trying to lose weight. Uh, and Christian said he, he legitimately lost about six or seven pound, pure sweat because of how heavy and hot this chicken suit was. <laughs> what legit? Legit lost seven pounds. Legit lost weight. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Chicken chicken suit. That's all I need to do. Get a chicken suit. <laughs> Just sit there with the heating on in a chicken suit. <laughs> so we're in a backstage segment at the moment, and we've got Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero. Eddie Guerrero is looking for Charvo. Wants to know where he is, and Chris Benoit's like telling him that Charvo is in the cupboard in the door, and Eddie Guerrero doesn't believe him. Thinks he's just you know lying, making it up. And um, <laughs> you just see the look on Benoit's face, the smile. Whenever you see Chris Benoit smile, it just looks, it's just a hilarious smile he has. I don't know how to describe it's it. The, it's the toothless aggression. Yeah, it's the smile he has, just like, he shouldn't be smiling. <laughs> um, but eventually, yeah, he opens the door and Charbo is in there, uh, had his ass kicked basically by Kurt Angle. And that's like setting us up for the uh, tag team match a little bit later on, but... Yeah, funny segment. Fun, funny back, backstage segment. So what are you talking about, Holmes? Hey. It's like you'd want to know. What do you mean? Where's he at? Just letting you know. Where's he at? Down this hallway. What do you mean, man? Where's he at? Here, keep going. Wait, here! Here! All four of them are brilliant together. Brilliant. Yeah, it works, uh, and I think it it only helps the career of Chavo Guerrero as well. Um, like, I don't know if you remember much of Chavo Guerrero in WCW. Um, it was very much an afterthought. Very much an afterthought. Yeah. Um, it was just part of the roster because of what his surname was. Um, but I think this, and he very much were in his early stages before he gets with Eddie. Before what we're going through at minute, um, Chavo was an afterthought, and I think going get him with Eddie and turning it when they turn into the Los Guerreros and have their awesome run with their theme music and stuff and um, where Travel starts copying Eddie's style a bit more um, I think yeah it's, uh, good things on the horizon for Travel. yeah definitely 
I like Charlie. I like Kerwin White, and we've got all that to come. <laughs> really? We've got Kerwin White to it's come. All, it's all right, because it's all white. That's it. It's all right, because it's all white, because we're WWE and we're racist as fuck. <laughs> oh, my God. Right, so up next, match number four of the evening. It is the WWE title versus the IC title. First time in my life, I'm happy. Minute, as it's minute in time as it stands, if we don't know what tomorrow's coming and it's no mercy, it's October 20th, 2002. It's, I'm not happy with the IC title getting taken away. No, because well, that makes it on Raw. They've got tag team titles, world heavyweight title, and the women's title. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and got Cruiserweight, tag team, and the world title. Or is it? WWE they got United title. States. WWE title. No, United States is not in yet, is it? Vegas 2003. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Yeah, so they've got... Yeah, this, they, what you got to think about as well, they've just acquired WCW and ECW, so they've got 50, 60 more wrestlers than they had this time six months ago. Or this time a year ago, even, let's say. WWE logic right there for you. We want them all, so nobody else can have them. 
Yeah. Simple as. Simple as. But, but, but on, the, on the flip of a coin, fast forward 2017, I think they've got too many titles. That's because they've not got enough wrestlers. It's a, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? They've, they've gone from having... I don't think the, the roster is not packed. No, there's, there's, there's wrestlers there, but for every Kevin Owens, there's five Jinder Mahals. Yeah. Who is, by the way, on steroids? Oh, how jacked does he look at the minute? He is just, look, just look at the difference between 3MB Jinder and modern Jinder. He's jacked. He's he like the Asian John Cena. He's jacked. Has anyone seen the picture of Big Show um, a couple of yes. days ago with his abs? Big Show's <laughs> hench. Big Show's hench. Shaq, on, Shaq better be scared, man. Big Show's coming for you. His last match as well, isn't it? What is that what they're saying, is it? Is this going to be his last match ever? Yeah, him and Mark Henry, their last matches, their last WrestleMania, they're gone. It needs to be, especially Mark Henry. Mark, Mark Henry had his, his peak with his Hall of Pain. Um... And unless he has that gimmick, and uh, I, I think it's too late in the day. That's why you want to roll the clip of him in his pink salmon suit. Oh, when he retires. Yeah. That that was, you know, that I, it got me that it did because I saw the tweet earlier in the day and I was like, oh, Mark Henry's retiring here, and I wasn't bothered. I was like, oh, it's Mark Henry, it's about time. And then he comes out in his big pink suit, and I'm like, oh, he's. I'm still with it. I'm still thinking, no, he's going to retire. And then when he turns on scene, I'm like, yes. Mark Henry's <laughs> finally fucking grew a set. My little girl, Joanna, who cries when I leave home. <laughs> Baby, I'm coming home. He's gonna get buried. Right, so we start with the video package uh, leading to the match. Um, obviously, it's everything that we that we've discussed for the last few episodes. The whole Katie Vick uh, situation, let's say. Um, Jerry King Lawler, he, he really is hundred percent firmly behind the fact that Kane is a murderer, uh, and he's like, I don't, I wouldn't want to be Triple H. I wouldn't want to get in the ring uh, with uh, with with Kane. And then a bit further later, he come out with a cracking line. He said, I'd get in the ring with Kane. But I won't go for a drive with him. Jerry <laughs> Lawler, fuck off. Honestly, I mean, Jerry Lawler's annoying me. It's the, I used to, I used to quite like Jerry Lawler. His heel commentator, Jerry Lawler. But I don't know what it is for some reason. The last couple of times I've seen you, him, you, you watch it back and it's like, oh my god, so cringy. Yeah, he's he's not, he's not very good. I think it was about two years ago, maybe. And there was multiple rows that he was commenting on, and he he kept trying to be funny, and it, I, I was cringing. Yeah, he, he doesn't he doesn't know how to be funny unless he's talking about women's breasticles. Uh, he doesn't he, he he's not because pervy Jerry Lawler is quite funny with his responses to stuff because he's very quick witted, but when he can't be pervert and he has to be normal PG Jerry Lawler, why do you think he's not around anymore? 
So yeah, so after the after the video package, uh, the the both the wrestlers make their entrances. Um, I don't know if you picked up on this, uh, Kane. It looked really sad. It looked like he'd kind of started to realise that he might actually be a murderer. He looked. He just looked really upset as he was walking to I the think ring. He just knew what was coming in his career. <laughs> Maybe uh, there was a, the, the, a sign that I noticed that was probably my sign of the night. Um, it was like the most non-fan created sign ever and um, it cut as Kane was walking to the ring it cut to a fan in the crowd with a, fi a sign that said the fire still burns but it was like a multicolored sign um that looked like it had done on a computer and it looked like that had been handed out by somebody in the wwe re their production staff it wasn't 2002 that a kid had drawn with a pen yeah uh, it was and how the, how the camera pointed straight to it they knew where that sign was do you know what i mean it's uh um triple h makes his entrance Massive pop, um, and Triple H with the big gold belt, the World Heavyweight Tile, whatever you want to call it. How good does that belt look on Triple H in this time? It was brought in for him. It was. It was like it was made for him in the in the sixties and seventies or whatever. They were waiting for this moment to put it on Triple H. It just looks. I don't know if it's because of how his body shape is with how the belt is. It just it looks so good on him. Yeah, and his entrance. I don't know why, it's just awesome. His entrance for this this match was awesome. I've always been a fan of Triple H's entrances. I think it's yeah. it's probably obviously got to do with the music as well. That he's, he's always been fortunate to have a banging theme tune. Um, even back in the day when he was turning heel, when he had my time. I love that one. They, they gave it to Stephanie after. Yeah, yeah. Didn't they give it to China at one point as well? Yeah. Before she started having her own theme. But yeah, I've always, I've always been a fan of Triple H's entrances. So yeah, they mentioned that... Um, they said apparently Triple H uh, has never beaten Kane uh, in a title match on a pay-per-view. Um, name me another one. Two-man power trip. Yeah, back um, with the, for the tag titles. Yep, when they oh, beat the Undertaker. Yeah, but apart from that, I, I don't recall any singles match on a pay-per-view with them two for a title. I know they had the match at Mania 15, um, and that was over China uh, leaving DX for the corporation. Uh, but I struggle after that. Didn't they have a... Was it like a a chain match or something like that? A judgment day? Yeah. Do you know, do you know like, a, like a strap match sort of style of match, but it was separated by a chain? Is that a bit further down yeah, the timeline? Yeah. Is that is that a bit in the future, though? Is that, already that, was, that was after the Backlash 2001. That's already happened then, yeah. So that's, that's probably the only match then that they were fucking talking about. <laughs> yeah, because Kane beat him at that match because they lost to Albert. Yes, or oh, with Albert's ill-fated IC title run. Yes. Um, well, the uh, after they'd made their uh, entrances, uh, they did the we're main eventers and we'll stand and stare at each other for five minutes and get the crowd pumped when they were in the ring. Um, I don't know if you noticed, Kane, it was like his right hand had gone numb. He was trying to get the feeling back in his right hand. Uh, it was constantly like trying to make a, make a grip. Uh, and then Triple H was getting more irate. And then all of a sudden, you could just see Triple H mouth the words, Come on, motherfucker. And then they just went at it in the ring. Um, but this is kind of where the match peaked for me. Um, I don't know about your guys. I'll throw it out to you to let, me know, to let me know what you think. But it was a very kick-punch affair for two guys that can actually wrestle. Yeah. They should have been able to put on a decent match where this was this was kick-punch, wrestled. Kick-punch, kick wrestled. Big move, wrestled. It was dull. Flair, Flair, but... Flair um, played a good part in it. Um, I'd love to have seen the match without Flair, though. There, though. Yeah. 
it was inevitable. It, that, just about to say, interference is inevitable uh, if you're a heel in 2002. Yeah. What got me though was that obviously later in the match where Ric Flair comes out, and then who comes out to uh, to save Kane? The Hurricane. Hurricane. The Hurricane and gets the ultimate He's burial. Penny, penny yeah, he gets the ultimate it's burial. The pedigree. On, yeah, pedigree on the outside. There's your payday. Um, but where's where's Rob Van Dam? Obviously, you've had the feud earlier in the card. Yeah. You had the match of Rob Van Dam and Ric Flair. Where's Rob Van Dam? Should not he be? Should not he be coming out? He's just had the the feud with um, Triple H. Shouldn't Rob Van Dam be coming out? I know he obviously at this minute in time he's got nothing to do with Kane, but surely he should be coming out if Ric Flair's getting involved. I mean, bad booking. Their feud's over, isn't it? Yeah, but they've just had a match an hour ago. I don't think RVD was there purely because of him and Ric Flair. Maybe they wanted to make that you know rivalry over and done with. Don't bring him out. Or it was just too baked. <laughs> or maybe just the fact that because of what they wanted, they were planning on doing, so you think Hurricane come out and straight away he got a pedigree. Um, so maybe because of what uh, the, the plan was, did they not kind of want to bury RVD? Where they don't mind with Hurricane because he's practically buried anyway in that stupid fucking superior gimmick. Yeah, probably. Would have RVD at the moment, even though I, I find him quite boring. Um, <laughs> His credibility is more than what the Hurricanes is. So for him to come out and get a pedigree would mean nothing. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the commentators, yet again, uh, annoyed me during this match. There was one key moment that... I don't want to st spend too much time talking about the commentators in this match because I could spend all day. Um, King, obviously, all throughout the match was saying, oh, murder of this, murder of that, murder of this. Kept mentioning Katie Vick. And then JR went, Jerry, just leave her to rest in peace. And King went, I'll leave that to Kane. And so the um, the finish of the match, um, it comes when uh, the ref, Earl Hebner, uh, he takes a bum, he takes a stiff boot. Um, and then Kane, he backdrops Triple H outside and, and then chokeslams Triple H through a table. Um, he rolls Triple H back inside after decking Ric Flair, but only gets a two count. Uh, Kane blocks Ric Flair swinging the sledgehammer. And then he goes to deliver the tombstone, but Triple H has got the hammer in his hand and he does a shot to the stomach with... Kane then blocks a swing from the choke uh, from the swing, uh, sledgehammer, um, hits a choke slam, but there's no ref. Uh, Flair then distracts um, Kane, and then Kane is then turned by Triple H and driven chest first into the turnbuckle, obviously selling the effect of getting hit with the sledgehammer. Uh, Triple H hits the pedigree, one, two, three, bye bye IC title in 16 minutes and 13. Um, now, the result surprising to nobody, I imagine, um, did Kane have any chance coming into this match of walking out as the world champion? The, the build for it, you know... Well, I watched it back in the day. Yeah. I thought Kane was going to win. Yeah. I was 12 years old in a little mark. <laughs> but well, we are. Yes, I, I'd agree on Mike. Yeah, that's probably what I thought when I was Mike's age. But even watching it now, I thought, oh, Kane might actually win this. Yeah. Um, but they always do that when they put Triple H and Kane in a big title match. Kane always looks so close to winning it, and then he just gets taken away from him. Because we are in the uh, the era of the Triple H burial train is in full motion. Right, so we cut to uh, Stephanie's office uh, where she's having a, a chat with Tracy. Yeah, come in. Hello, Tracy. Hello, Tracy. Hello, Tracy. 
I know I kicked you out of the arena last week, but... Okay, woman to woman. I understand about relationships. I mean, I was just watching my ex-husband. And I realized why you must have kept, you know, all of this, all of these secrets about The Undertaker quiet for so long, because... Isn't it because you really love him? Love him? No, I don't love him. Right? I can't even stand the ground that bastard walks on. Well, even still, you have, you have to care an awful lot about someone to feel that strongly. You know, Stephanie, I was content with just letting all of this go, just going on with my life. And then out of nowhere, I get this call from Paul Heyman. Now, I don't know how he knew about me and Mark, but he knew. So, what you're really trying to tell me is, and this is okay, okay, as far as I'm concerned, is that you did have a relationship with The Undertaker, but it was in the past. And all of this stuff about sleeping with The Undertaker 10 days ago and recently having an affair, I mean, that was all a lie. Paul Heyman put you up to telling all that as a lie, right? Okay, confidentially, between you and I. Yes, it was all a lie. Paul Heyman put me up to it, and once he started rolling with the story, I just went along with it. I mean, I do, I want Mark back. And I don't care about some pregnant wife, Sarah. I'll say whatever it has to, whatever has to be said. Okay? I'm gonna get Mark back. You're a lying bitch. I don't know if you picked up on this. Now, Stephanie's obviously trying to get Tracy to confess that it's bullshit that, that, with the whole Undertaker thing. Um, and then yep. Tracy, Tracy says that she was with the undertaker ages ago and then she got a phone call off paul Heyman, and that's all she said yeah and then stephanie went are you trying to tell me that you used to be with undertaker years ago you're not anymore but paul Heyman rang you and said to you pretend that you're with him and pretend that you're having an affair now so you can get involved in this storyline and she went yeah that's exactly what i've said no she didn't and then obviously you've got she finally admits that it's all bullshit. you've got undertaker hiding in the cupboards a little creep that he is and he comes out and he's like, thanks, Steph, I owe you one. Tracy, you slag. I don't get how fucking stupid Tracy is. You're telling Steph this in confidence and there's a fucking camera right there. <laughs> <laughs> when, when has a storyline ever been executed uh, where it involves a, like, a personal matter? Where ex executed well. Like, one that, one that popped up then in my head was... Um, is it a bit further down the line where Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero over the custody of a child? I was just about to say that. Do you know what I mean? It's, that's, that's some good matches, isn't it? And not, of course, they had amazing matches, but when the storyline is based on something with emotional investment, it never comes off well. Never comes off well. It's probably because it's too real. WWE, when they tried to make it real, it's not because... It is, it's the land of make-believe, and it's the, it's weird because, again, let's t discuss the, um, the the ladder match you just mentioned then. 
Who in their right mind actually thought that any law within any country in the world would allow the custody of a child to be decided over a contract 15 foot above a ring and you've got to access it via a ladder? Imagine social services. Imagine social services coming round. Uh, where's your son? Oh, I lost him in a ladder match. <laughs> so, the next matchup um, is the tag team, SmackDown tag team title match. History will be made tonight. Well, coming up next, we will make history. A new title has been created for SmackDown. The WWE Tag Team Champions will be crowned tonight. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. And this has the elements to be a great matchup, but it will. Edge, Mysterio, go against Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit. This is going to be off the charts. It is a combination of a wonderful tag team tournament. Again, like we mentioned earlier, there's not one proper team. Everyone gets their own individual entrances, um, just like with the uh, the Raw World Title match. Um, obviously, the tournament, it's now finally got to the point where we are going to decide the titles. Um, it feels like the tournament's gone on for a long time. Um, I know we've, we've covered it in a few couple of episodes um, that we've done. Um, I don't know what can be said about this match uh, that's not already been said. Um, it's one of the the best tag team matches in, I'd probably say in the history of SmackDown, and it's certainly a, a contender for a match of the year in, in 2002. Yeah, by far, but the, the talent that's in the ring, Benoit, Angle, Mysterio, Edge, all four of them, all been former heavyweight champions, all of them all been, you know, main eventing, you know, it's, they're all Gifted, they're all technical. They're all... Those three guys who deserve to be Hall of Fame. All of them. Is currently in Hall of Fame. Did you know uh, Eddie Guerrero won the Royal Rumble 2004? <laughs> yeah. I did. I did, yes. I posted that on the chat. <laughs> Do you know something, It's one of them things that during 15 years' time, they'll, they'll still, they'll probably talk about it. They'll. You know what Vince is, you know what Vince is like? He believes his own bullshit after a while. And he technically did win, win a Royal Rumble. The fifteen man Royal Rumble on episode of SmackDown. That don't count. That I mean that yeah, if you want to go like that then China's won a Royal Rumble. Yeah. China won the China won the corporate rumble on Raw before the ninety nine rumble. Um so the match itself, um it's Ray and Kurt to start. Uh, angle with an arm drag um, and very much a mat wrestling uh, ground and pound like Angle starts the majority of his matches. Um, angle with his uh, his takedown then slaps to Ray's head. Um, angle's looking all smug about it. I love smug Kurt Angle. Uh, when the going is good for Kurt Angle, he's when he knows the going's good. He walks around with the biggest chip on his shoulder. Absolutely love it. Um, he throws Ray towards a corner because he wants edge. Uh, but then Ray carries on and he hits a lovely hurricanrana and then gets his little bit of his own back on Kurt Angle and starts slapping Kurt round his bald head. Um, Edge then tags in and the uh, the teenage girls in the audience scream and they make the biggest of noise. Those tag team titles look amazing. They're beautiful. They're beautiful. Let's 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 talk about them now. Um, yeah, the the tag team titles. Obviously, they are. That's how they should look. Yeah, they are an exact replica of the original '80s, '90s, uh, early 2000 tag team belt. Apart from they've got the, the SmackDown blue feel about it. Compare these to against the Raw tag belts. Obviously, the Raw tag belts, what we've got now, the, the newer version. Um, the, the SmackDown ones are pissing all over them. And no one 
uh, even as it stands at the minute no one's even held this belt yet and the belt is just it's one of the best looking belts that WWE's produced in a long time yeah I, I completely agree with that I think that the ones that we've got currently are like they're like big pennies yeah I don't understand what the Roman Greek god aspect is with the with the belts um, like the, the the UK belt um, obviously the tournament uh, we're recording on the weekend of the, the UK t- tournament's happened um, the, the UK belt I'm not so when I first saw it I liked it and then when I saw it in real life um, I, don't, I don't know it just reminds me of the world title just with that pound coin uh, emblem smashed in the middle of it I don't know it, it looks very big yeah. and bulky it looks big especially compared to the little lad that's won it as well it looks massive on his shoulder the same concept with the uh, universal title that I think that looks huge on Finn Balor's shoulder yeah I like the UK championship I think it looks really nice it's probably better than some of the the, the ones that we've got currently on Smackdown and Raw oh it's, it's certainly it's different more detail. yeah it's, it's better, better than universal title yeah I'd say that oh, I'd say universal it looks awful is it I can understand what they wanted to do with the Universal title. Is they want to see it as the same um, sort of pedestal as the world title. So let's give it the exact same design because it's basically the same belt. But then we need to give it its yeah. own originality. We need to give it its own originality so we'll cover it in fucking red. Um, but yeah, I, don't, like, I was looking back at this t- period of time that we're on now. We've got two world titles. It's exactly like it is now. But the world titles, I know obviously one of them's the big gold belt, the old WCWNWA title, and one of um, the other one is the newer version of WWE title. But they're just dif- they're so different. Do you know what I mean? They couldn't be more t- the same. Do you know what I mean? Couldn't be more different. Sorry. Yeah. Um, where now it's the everything's like there's no excitement when a new belt gets released now because everyone straight away have got it in their mindset that the belt's going to look like the woman's title, the universal belt, and the world title. And they're going to be like that now for another five years. Oh, definitely. The, the only new title that we've had is the Cruiserweight title. And that makes me sick. That it's, it's fucking purple. looks bollocks. It looks like it looks something like a from book. a cartoon. Golden black and it might be better. Yeah. And, but I don't understand what's wrong with having just black belts with gold on them. Do you know what I mean? They always refer to them as the gold. We are fighting for the gold. This match is for the gold. But there's only like one title that's in the whole of the belts that's actually made out of gold. Do you know what I mean? You've got belts that are made out of silver. I think the Cruiserweight title's silver as well. Um, the, the world title and the Universal Championship have hardly got any sort of gold or metal on them at all. Obviously, you've got diamonds, which are run around the WWE logo. Um, they're, not, they're not belts. They're not belts. They're not, I remember... Sorry, I see belts. Yeah, well, the IC title, um, and that's all down to Cody Rhodes, obviously, because Co- Cody Rhodes, um, out of his own pocket, he paid for that belt to be commissioned um, because he wanted to bring back the iconic 80s title belt, which I st- I'm all down for, and I love it, but I would have preferred it to come back with a black strap instead of a white one. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like the mm. Ultimate War- when the Ultimate Warrior had it, um, and he did it the same when he was the world champion, um, he had like a yellow strap, he had a white strap, he had, I think he had a blue strap at one point as well. Um, for the world title, um, but so it was like that was kind of the Ultimate Warrior's fault, but it was nice when Cody Rhodes first brought it back. But I would much prefer the the iconic IC belt of the black strap that's been held by like Mr. Perfect and and Bret Hart and Joey and actual proper full on main event stars yeah. when the IC belt was worth something. So oh, the um, the finish to the tag team title match, 
Um, Edge gets the uh, hot tag and he runs wild on Angle and Benoit. Um, Ray's back in uh, and he, he he flies into uh, into a, a Bronco Buster. It's it, it, it so good. I always used to like X Pac when he used to do the Bronco Buster, but Ray Mysterio because it's two thousand and two and he's like shit off a shovel. He flies into that corner, um, and then <laughs> there's some good. And this is what I always loved, and this is what it always it brought a smile to my face watching it back. So it brought back some good memories of Ray Mysterio and Edge as a team. Uh, so innovative with the moves they do together. Um, yeah, Edge is basically just a catapult. And he's launching Rey Mysterio all over the place, and visually, it's just brilliant. It's, it's, it's magic to watch. Yeah, the um, the power bomb that Edge sets Rey Mysterio up into, and then Rey turns it into a moonsault to the outside. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, and then the one a bit before when he turns it into when he launches Rey into the Hurricanrana. Yeah, <laughs> the when Rey's held by Angle in like a body slam position, and Edge does a drop kick. Yes, drop kicks Rey into him like. He's brilliant. They're just so innovative with, and that's. I know we, we've mentioned it a few times already that uh, there's not one actual team. I mean, everyone's come out separately, etc. But at least the Edge Ray Mysterio team are trying to be like a tag team. So then, yeah, towards the end of the tag team title match, um, it all gets a bit chaotic. Um, Edge sets up for a spear, but then Benoit grabs him into the crossface. Uh, Ray Mysterio delivers a six one nine to Benoit while he's in the crossface, which was a pretty cool move. Um, angle with the angle slam to Ray, then the ankle lock onto Edge, which then rolls through by Edge to put the ankle lock onto Angle, and then it's back rolled through again with Angle to put the ankle lock back onto Edge. Um, Edge then manages to get out of it and delivers a spear to Angle, but Benoit saves. Edge then launches Ray outside onto Benoit, was the spot that you mentioned, CJ, with the power bomb where he turns him around into the moonsault. Absolute cracking spot. Uh, then you've got an education, uh, well, is it the education, sorry, um, then that's yeah. reversed into an ankle lock, edge counters, but then angle reverses it back into the ankle lock, and this time, bit more pressure, edge taps out, in 22 minutes and 3 seconds, your brand new Smackdown Tag Team Champions are Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle, the odd couple. What an ending. Yeah, five stars. Six out of five. Yeah, what an ending. Do you know what I mean? Top that, Raw. Do you know what I mean? Top that, Jericho and Christian and Booker T and Goldust. Do you know what I mean? Have your rematch tomorrow on Raw and try and top that fucker. Yeah. It just it just worked really well. They, they work really well. They just know each other. They know how they wrestle. They know what to expect. Um, I could probably go on a whim here and say that they probably didn't even rehearse that match 
I can imagine, with, especially with the experience they've got there as well. Um, so then we cut backstage um, to the Undertaker. He's got his cast on uh, and he's telling the, the, um, the doctor to give him an injection. Um, he's not going to be able to get through Hell in a Cell without the heroin. Um, and the, the referee's like, um, the, referee, the doctor is like, it's very unethical, uh, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's 2002 and WWE's doctors are quite unethical as we know, as we learn to find out in the next couple of years. Come on, what are you waiting on? This is unethical. I'm not supposed to be giving you anything like this. Yeah, I understand that, Larry. But let me explain something to you. Without that shot, I ain't gonna make it through hell in a cell, man. So either you give me the shot, or I'm going to take that needle and I'm going to give it to myself. Come on, man. Wait, did you just say heroin? Yeah. Morphine. Same thing. He needed, he, wanted, he, needed, he needed his shot to get through the match, so there's guaranteed it would have been morphine. Well, that, well I say guaranteed, it's probably water. Um, they probably didn't inject him with anything, but I think the idea they're trying to tell you is some form of morphine painkiller. So yeah, Undertaker needs his smack, or he can't get through. Uh, <laughs> that, 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 that just, I don't know. I've just got a vision in my head of like two tramps fighting <laughs> in Sheffield somewhere. What over by the smack inside Hell in the Cell? <laughs> can't fight you out some crack. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like Rob Van Dam's in the room. <laughs> Um, so our next match is uh, the final match from Raw this evening. It is for the women's title. It is Trish Stratus versus Rick Victoria. And straight away, Jerry King Law there is at his peak of perv, where he says Trish Stratus has pedigree puppies. And then JR says Victoria, as she's making her entrance, is colder than the other side of the pillow. It's like commentary bingo tonight. They're coming out with crackers all night. <laughs> and as I said, as soon as the match starts, the crowd, we want puppies. We want puppies throughout the whole fucking match. Where if you think the previous match, like the previous match was a high intense tag team affair, the crowd was going wild um, towards the end. You know I mean? It was the first night, match of the night, really, the crowd weren't sat on their hands. Do you know I mean? They were making shit tons of noise. But then, like we mentioned earlier, this is this woman's title match is Raw's last match. This is their main event, let's say. But you can't, it's the only match you can put on after. The tag, unless you yeah. unless you started the night with the tag belts, uh, with the SmackDown tag belts, um, but that's the, this is the only match that you could have put in this slot um, before the main event for for the pay per view to have worked. Even even uh, Ric Flair and Rob Van Dam wouldn't have worked in this slot. I think anything it needed something that the fans weren't going to give two shits about anyway. Yeah, I thought Victoria looked hotter in that match. Victoria is hot. Victoria was always hot. She was very underrated, I think, because she was always she she always looks a lot older than all the other divas. I don't know if I don't know if she is. I don't know if she is like yeah. five five six years older than everybody else. 
Um, but she's always looked a lot more mature than the other divas. But oh, she's always been hot, especially when she was in uh, TNA with uh, which what she used to carry around in that jar was it an eyeball or something like that or a spider? Tarantula. That tarantula, yeah. From that gimmick that she had then, oh, she was so hot. So the match itself, um, Trish, uh, it starts off pretty uh, fast-paced to an extent, I'd say. Um, incredibly sloppy. Um, I expected a bit more. I know, obviously, Trish is only in her early years of wrestling, but Victoria's a bit of an established pro. Um, yeah, it was quite sloppy, but there was a couple of, a, a good couple of moves, let's say. Um, they took it outside near enough straight away. Uh, Victoria bounces Trish off the barricade uh, and then kicks her, uh, and then kicks her as King chimes in and says, "Right in the puppies." So women don't have chests. You don't have a chest. You just have puppies. So when you get a shot in the chest, if in Jr. in the King's world, it's a kick straight to the puppies. Fucking dickhead. Um, there was a, uh, a lovely over-the-top rope leg drop uh, by Victoria. Uh, very similar to what I think Eddie Guerrero used to do that type of move. He'd go over like, and do it like a swanton. It was a terrible monkey flip. Uh, I don't know if you just caught that. Um, it was like it was... Yes, yeah. I that. I felt, yeah. I felt that. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was so uncomfortable and awkward. And I don't know what it is. Is it... D d obviously because WWE... As, as we follow you around, we've, we've touched on numerous times, they don't seem to care about women's wrestling. Is that, do they not care that, that much that they don't allow them to practice their matches or do they don't fucking train them? It's because they, that, that, was, that was a basic, simple move that looked horrific. It may have just been, no, I don't think it's, not, I don't think it's down to training, I just think it's, they fucked up, as you would say in the ECW. They, they just fucked up. Fucked you, <laughs> Yeah. Um, the finish of the match, um, Victoria reverses the strikes faction, but then Trish rolls Victoria up for a free count um, in 5 minutes and 31. Uh, and the post-match, uh, Victoria attacks Trish Stratus uh, to again prove that this feud, just like Tajiri and JB Normal earlier, um, it's not going to stop at this pay-per-view. It looks like obviously Victoria and Trish will carry on off the back of this. I don't know. Out of the two women's matches, so you had Dawn Marie against Tori Wilson on SmackDown, and then Raw, you had Trish Stratus against Victoria. Because they were both as bad as each other, if you had to choose one for women's match of the night. Oh, that would be Tori and... Uh, sorry, not Tori. Fucking Trish and Victoria. Easily. I don't know about... It was easily. way better than Tori Wilson match. Way better. Yeah, if one... Yeah, I'd, if you're gonna if you're gonna mark them out of five, Tori Wilson would be a one point, it'd be a one, and Trish would be a one point five. I wouldn't. They were awful yeah, matches. So then we cut to uh, the world in Times Square in New York, and Rikishi is there, uh, proving that doing it for The Rock really didn't help his career. 
SmackDown star Rikishi is at the world tonight. We're going to get the Rikishi in a few moments and get his thoughts on hell in a cell as you take a look at the world live from New York City. Rikishi knows all about hell in a cell. In fact, it was December of the year 2000 and Armageddon that Rikishi was indeed involved in a hell in a cell matchup. That was six men competing for the WWE title and then the Undertaker. Right here you see it. Boom! Rikishi at the top of the cell. The Undertaker making Rikishi famous. And we understand Rikishi joining us live uh, at the world. Everybody having a lot of fun at the world in New York. And Rikishi, I have to ask you, how did the Hell in a Cell matchup at Armageddon change your life? Well, you know, Michael, just sitting here watching that video, sends chills up my spine. You know, that match there could have really ended my career. It should have. But, you know, this is one match that I'll never, ever forget in my career. This, make no mistake, the hell in the cell is no joke. <laughs> we are in the world. Um, they, they highlight the 2000 Armageddon Hell in the Cell with obviously Rikishi getting pushed off by The Undertaker. Uh, Rikishi looks like he's dressed for a funeral and, and he talks like he's dressed for a funeral. Um, he talks like he's at a funeral, looks miserable, but wouldn't you be if you're Rikishi Fatu and it's 2002 or you are in the world on the pay-per-view? You are getting the Billy Gunn and the Hardcore Holly treatment. Um, New York's finest, uh, they're stretching to try and get on the TV. And then we cut back to ringside. The cell is being lowered. It is time for our main event. It is the world title. It is Brock Lesnar versus The Undertaker. Brock Lesnar is still the champion, but the Brock Undertaker issue is only going to get uglier from here. So yeah, we go straight into the Hell in a Cell match. Undertaker, well, Brock Lesnar's the first one out. Undertaker comes out with his cast on. So obviously they've put a lot of emphasis on the cast that is on the Undertaker's arm. So instantly, me as a fan, I don't know about you, Dave, um, but I'm thinking because of the cast, it looks like the Undertaker may not win this match. But yeah. Um, who knows? I think it's... I think they needed to... On the, Obviously, with the storyline coming into the match, you've got the whole Tracy angle and all that, but I think they needed to give The Undertaker a weakness and give him, um, giving him the cast gives him that weakness against the up-and-coming Brock Lesnar. So, yeah, they're both, uh, both getting into the match. Both go strong, full bulls, bull heads, bull horns together, as you'd expect them both because they're both big guys. Um, I would say that it's more Brock Lesnar getting the offense than The Undertaker to start with. Um and they just do a couple of. It's not. It's not a wrestling match. It is a. You know. It's hell and self, God's sake. But it's. It's more of a beat 'em up. You know. 
trash cancer wrestling match, which you want to see in this sort of thing. And, you know, going back to earlier on in, in, in this podcast day, when you said this is probably the best Hell in a Cell you, you think out of all the ones have been, I'd have to agree with you because I had to go back and rewatch it myself. And, <clears throat> yeah, it, I would I would agree. Because, um, yeah, you compare it to matches like the McFoley and the Taker match, yeah, that was good, but it was just a spot fest. That's all it was. Um, and it was all about Mick Foley. It, was nothing, it wasn't about them, Taker. It was all about Mick Foley. Um, and then the other Hell in a Cell that's any decent would be, I would say, Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, the very first one. Then yeah. you've got the the one with Batista and Triple H, and then there's one with Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Triple H has been in a hell of a lot of Hell in a Cells, no pun intended. But all the Hell in a Cell, out of all of them, I would agree this is the best one because there's so much action in it, and you just don't know which way it's going to go. And it's quite it's quite a dramatic match as well, especially when Brock Lesnar finally gets the Undertaker's cast off. Then you're like, oh, God, his cast's off. Uh, game over, really, but... Yeah, know, when it I was, was it was like the, you can hear the crowd, the like the shock and the awe of the crowd when they get the crowd the cast off because it's like we like we just touched on it's it's a the, an additional dynamic that they've added to the match because it's the Undertaker's got this weakness and he's acted they've showed you his heroin injection um, and he's 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 fighting through the pain to fight in this match um, obviously then you've got the emotional side as well with the Tracy all built up and then you put a cell on top of it as well I think yeah, it, like you just said then it's not it's not a wrestling match. It's a, it's a fight, and that's why it was. They were just they wanted to kick the crap out of each other for twenty odd minutes, and that's exactly what they did. Um, the amount of blood, uh, and I can't describe to you. Mate. Even Heyman was bleeding, for God's sake. And yeah. Heyman, when Heyman, I I think they went a bit OTT with the Heyman blood because he got it from a big boot from Nuntaker, and yeah. then he bled like a, a stuffed pig. Yeah. Um, and then the blood from the Undertaker, um, he bladed hard. He was, you know, that was a botched blade job, I think. Yeah, he he, he botched. He must have botched botched it all. Or I mean, I don't know whether he intended it with it being Hell in a Cell, but it does. It makes the match more gruesome and more watchable. I must admit, but I can see why they don't do it anymore because it can be quite. If you're getting a five-year-old, you know, your little ten-year-old son watching this now, you know, it's quite. You can give them nightmares. It could do. Yeah, it's there's, there is as much as we miss the blood. Sometimes there can be too much blood, uh, and I think this symbolises it. Yeah, I mean, just the bits where the Undertaker scrapes Brock Lesnar's face across the steel—that looks—they make it look like it hurts. Yeah, you know, because he's got a cut open head already, and you know, and the amount of times the Undertaker just chucks Brock Lesnar into this, the cage—I can't even—I can't count how many times he does it. Um, and then when Lesnar gets his own back and he does like a catapult to the Undertaker um, and then gives him a power slam onto the mat. Like, my God, like some proper brutal moves. Um, we see the Undertaker go to... He, he, you think he's going to go for an old school, but he actually goes for an elbow drop instead. The elbow drops uh, Brock Lesnar off the top rope, which was, in my opinion, quite a weak elbow drop, but still impressive because it was The Undertaker. Um, and, yeah, it's just, yeah, a great match. The finish, oh, I don't know. I was rooting for The Undertaker the whole match. I think a lot of people were back in the day. Um, yeah. I thought he was actually going to win. Um, but, you know, 
they 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 built they've built the the Brock Lesnar's F5 to be something. Nobody kicks out of it. Yeah, you, out. you can't kick yeah. out of the F5 in 2002. That's a guarantee. Even in the promo building up to it, the what like epic promo. I'll, I'll give it that. But I would say that. Do you think being F5'd onto some like sandbags would really hurt? Really? Not in the slightest. Because they, they made it look like that was meant to hurt, but I I could happily take a, an F5 from Brock Lesnar onto a sandbag and be okay. Yeah, like I so said, I haven't even got any notes from this match, but like just the bits where the Undertaker gets his cast handcuffed to the, um, the cage and then Brock Lesnar's smashing it with a... A steel chair that looks like it hurts, and the part that Paul Heyman plays in it is, you know, he plays like a comical part where he's sticking his hand in and he's trying to like get at the Undertaker, and the Undertaker gets in by his tie and starts smashing him against the cage. All in all, great match, just great, great ending to, I would say, an average pay per view. It's because it's 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 grim. I think I think that's why I um, class it as one of, if not the best one, purely because of the amount of blood. I know we've just mentioned five minutes ago. I've said I'm contradicting myself, where maybe a bit too much blood. But I think in Hell in the Cell you need blood because if you are using the main focus as is the cell being a weapon and you're using that as a cheese grater or whatever, you need a bit of blood. Right? You need a bit of blood, and I think this. Yeah, I think it was absolutely brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So, the pay-per-view ends with still your current world champion, Brock Lesnar. Uh, so, CJ, I'm going to come to you first. Um, match of the night, worst match of the night, and if if this pay-per-view was a wrestler. Match of the night, Hell in a Cell. Worst match of the night, Tory Wilson, E and Dawn Marie. And if this, if this pay-per-view was a wrestler, I would probably go with... <laughs> I really, somebody who's uh, who's really good at finishing the shit in a match. Um, I don't know. Somebody who's shit has got a really good finisher. That's that's the sort of wrestler I'd I'd put it to. I'd say uh, Roman Reigns. Okay, and Mike, same questions to you, sir. Match of the night was the match of the year. The tag title match. The, the SmackDown tag title, so the worst match was same as Christian, the Dolby Toy Wilson, or even give that one star. And if it was a wrestler, uh, similar reason to Christian, like a, a mediocre wrestler, but with a great finisher. So probably Christian or Cody Rhodes. Okay, and I'm I'm kind of with you as well. Um, match tonight for me, Hell in a Cell, worst match, 
agree with both of you, uh, Dawn Marie, Tori Wilson. And for me, my reasons are near enough the same as your guys, um, but I'd go this pay-per-view is a Jamie Noble because he's not so bad in the ring, great finisher, and there is various moments in a Jamie Noble match where I'll piss myself laughing. And that's exactly what this pay-per-view did. So that's No Mercy 2002. Um, coming up next is the first pay-per-view of the Ruthless Aggression Era podcast over the pond in the United Kingdom. It is October the 26th, so it's, it's six days after this pay-per-view. It's going to be Rebellion 2002. Is that with uh, Edge versus Brock? That is, it's Edge versus Brock and Paul Heyman in a handicap match for the World Heavyweight Championship, or the WWE Championship. Interesting. Looking forward to that. Yes. So, up until then, as always, we thank you ever so much for listening, guys. Um, if you are listening on SoundCloud, thank you so much. If you listen on iTunes, let us know. Um, as we always say, leave a rate, review, a comment. Let us know. Um, thank you for everybody that interacts with us on Twitter. Um, and as always, guys, if you need to find us, um, all you have to search for is RA Era Podcast. That's on Facebook, that's on Twitter, SoundCloud, iTunes. It's the same handle on all of them. Uh, and we appreciate all the support. But until next time, I've been Dave. This has been CJ. Cheers, guys. And as always, the driest man in sports entertainment, that is Mike. Woo! And we've been the Ruthless Aggression Era podcast. Until next time, peace out, people. No mercy now. There's no more forgiveness. No running now. You made it my business Etched in my mind The sins of your past are slapping me